Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. It's Wednesday morning, November 15, 843-661-0937. Our number, good morning, no shot, Josh. Good morning. We'll go there in just a bit. Good morning, Ooh. Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Uh, got an action-filled, uh, action-filled, action-filled <laughs> four hours of radio. I am as aggravated as you could imagine. Um, at about 4.05 this morning, I'm sitting in a Waffle House. This time change. <laughs> On I mean, purpose? I, I'm, I'm just slow to adjust. Uh, I normally get up at 4.30. Now I'm getting up at 3.30. Get up at 3.30. The busy head syndrome kicks in. I'm thinking about debt and, you know, um, leverage and keeping the balls in the air, juggling these six or eight things I've always got going on in my life, and I can't go back to bed. And, and I'm I'm real frustrated and bothered that my, what what is it, my, um my, uh, what, what, is, what do you call it Your here? I mean, internal the, clock. Internal clock. I mean, the, um. The biorhythmic activities of my <laughs> oh. of my routineish life. That, that uh, sounds more impressive. Keep me Circadian up. rhythm. There you there go. You go. There, I knew that yeah. Josh would know that. Uh, whether he does or not, it sounded like he did. <laughs> yeah. That's good enough for me most of the time. Um, don't you ever say anything suppository about my country, though, Josh. You hear me? <laughs> don't you ever say anything <laughs> to suppository. To quote Archie Bunker. Yeah. Um, there's somebody, we, we may do a bit one of, the, one of these days about the greatest misuses of words. I've told this story. Got a good buddy. He's passed away now, tragically died early in life. But when they were having their first kid, none of us knew our butt from third base, literally. I mean, we were just a bunch of young kids, had grown up. We got a little older. We got nervous about, ah, man, we hang around much longer. Nobody will want us. So we started getting married one by one. And um, and country folk get married early. Uh, <laughs> we just do. Um, but one of my buddies had gotten, you know, 26 and hadn't married, 27, didn't get married, 28, didn't get married. He was one of the last ones of our uh, our clan to get married but he got married and had a baby real quick married and then had a child and we were at a softball field one night <laughs> we were asking about his wife she came to see him or get it i don't know she probably came home to find out why he wasn't home yet or came to the ball field to find out why he wasn't home yet and um and i remember when she left i mean she was pregnant i'm talking about 64 months pregnant and uh, and somebody said hey man when's your wife do and he said, well, she goes to the doctor tomorrow, and if everything checks out, they're going to seduce her next week. <laughs> I'm, like, no. I'm like, no, dude. It's, I, I mean, I even know the She's word. She's a little is, past that. Yeah, it's <laughs> induced. Right. I mean, the word is induced. You don't want some dude seducing your right, wife. He yeah. said, no, nah, I'm serious. I mean, it's, um, it's kind of this prearranged, you know, delivery of the baby. I said, no, it's, you, you got the concept right. But the word, the word is where you're wrong. Seduce and induce are, are not one and the same. And Larry Bird, I mean, the great basketball player Larry Bird was famous for being amphibious, right? I mean, he could shoot with his left or his, or his right hand. Right, that's right. And he could swim. But the greatest misuse of the word ever is Archie Bunker. When Meathead went on one of these anti-America rants, Archie stood up and confronted Meathead and said, don't you ever, ever say anything suppository about my country while you're in my home that I'm paying the bills. <laughs> it looked like. Okay, Archie, I won't ever say anything <laughs> suppository about your country uh, while we're uh, while we're in the. But, is somebody already on the phone? But I'm I'm just gonna say I'm with you on the time change I thing. I can't this, get it right, it, man. It has hit me hard this year. I I'm so tired, and it seems like you know once you get home, it gets dark so early, and then I look at the clock at seven forty-five, and I'm like, is it bedtime yet? Yeah, I'd mean, I mean, go get in bed. I, I'm in bed by eight eight fifteen every night. And this morning it was three fifty is when. My eyes opened and I could never get back. To sleep. Mine's three thirty. 
I historically have gotten up at 4.30. Yeah. At 3.30, I'm waking up, and it's like you can't go back to bed. And then once again, this busy head syndrome kicks in, and I'm thinking about these things I need to get done. And, man, I hope this happens, and I hope that doesn't happen. I hope I don't get that phone call, but I hope I do get um, this phone call. And it just kind of um, get up and go. So I went to the Waffle House and had me a uh, hash brown sausage Ooh. egg and cheese bowl. Man, that sounds good. Yeah, it was good. Wow. Uh, it was real good. Were you alone? I mean, in it was the $168, but it was right. real good. <laughs> you know, from Bidenomics, running on that economic model that is um, that is the Bidenomics. Uh, other cus- customers in there? A couple of, yeah, a couple of folks there, working folk. I mean, like yeah. us, you know, good blue collar working people yeah. to get up early to vote. And vote Republican. Is somebody on the phone? Yeah, Verd. Let's go there. Even before the show started this morning. Hello, Verd. You're on. Good morning, Ken. How you doing? Uh, just want to put in a plug for somebody you put in a plug for yesterday, uh, Drew McKissick. <laughs> I agree with you. I think it's time he take over the National Republican Party. Uh, I've worked with Drew for the last five years, and all he does is win, win, win in South Carolina. And he can do the same thing on the national level. Uh, you know, we have supermajorities in the House and the Senate in Columbia, uh, six out of seven constitutional or six out of seven of the congressional seats are Republican. All constitutional offices in the state are uh, held by Republican. And Drew has done something like uh, Marlboro and Dillon. We have converted these counties over to Republican. And uh, within a few hundred votes in 2022 with Marlboro County, every state and federal official that run ran winning senator scott did win and secretary hammond won and we're gonna carry it over the top in 2024 we're gonna let more republicans uh and i feel like dillon county is gonna do the same and the, the, the pd region of south carolina is gonna become a strong uh republican area in the state of south carolina thank you uh bird appreciate that and and i'll say this vivek ramaswamy was the one that kind of took it and said and and vivek kind of admitted i don't know much about the inner workings of the party but this lady's not doing a good you know, job. Ronald McDaniel yeah, is I mean, not you know, this lady's not doing a good job, and I'm, you know, I'm not the guy to go handpick somebody to run the RNC. But they've done that. We've got a first vice chair. Let's let him run uh, the party because this thing. I mean, this lady's just not doing uh, a good enough job, and I don't know why. I mean, I don't know what it takes to be an effective RNC chairman, but she's not. I mean, I, I'm smart enough to know when someone is not an effective chairman, and yeah, I mean, I would be all in support. I talked to somebody yesterday that led me to believe there's some chatter within the universe that matters. And I would imagine it's the funding class of the RNC about uh, making a change midstream, not waiting until the end of an election cycle and uh, and then make the change, but rather give Drew McKissick a chance to do it now. And I would be much, very much in favor of that. And, and not that I think, I mean, I don't know what Drew's philosophy would be. I mean, you've heard him every Thursday morning on this show articulate where he thinks the party needs to go. Um, but I mean, you got to look at the body of work that Ronald McDaniel's responsible for, and you've got a Democrat president, 54 points underwater and they hold serve. I mean, it's not that the Democrats had a great night. They didn't, but they had a good enough night to gain control of the Virginia. And, and I think, I mean, most Republicans, and I'm not talking about Kool-Aid drinkers or sunshine pumpers. Most Republicans knew that Virginia was a tough sale. I mean, it gets tougher and tougher and tougher as government grows and more of the employees live in Virginia. We know it's going to be a, a hard sale. Kentucky's what got me. I mean, it, well, once again, I looked at the trending on abortion and, and where Americans seem to have been sold. Let me say that again. Where Americans seem to have been sold. I don't know if they understand what they believe or not, because I still don't believe that the fine people of Ohio believe it's okay for a 12-year-old to have an abortion without parental consent or notification. I just don't buy that. I mean, I think if you set every Ohio voter down and said, look, yes means 
you're allowing a 12-year-old female to enter into an abortion contract with Planned Parenthood or some other provider without notifying or, or gaining the consent of her parents. I got to believe that the fine and good people of Ohio would say, no, I'm not for that. Well, you are now, but that's what you voted on. But once again, you got ad campaigns masquerading as, you know, women's reproductive rights and all these sorts of things. And I'm telling you, the language in that is so broad and ambiguous. There's going to be a, a an eventual lawsuit about uh, gender orientation, gender fluidity, gender, um, you know, sex, gender identity, sex change operations. And you could read that bill, easily read that bill and interpret it to say that a woman or man, uh, well, let's say that a girl or a boy, uh, under the age, have the right to have their sex changed to the sex they identify as without parental consent or notification. And I just don't believe the people in Ohio are for that. I mean, I, yeah, there's some liberal, liberal Democrats that believe in that nonsense and, and godlessness, to use Breeze's word, but I just don't believe the average Ohioan believes that that is reasonable, but that's kind of the law of of the land. Um Ron DeSantis yesterday, this is kind of interesting to me. I actually talked to Tim Scott yesterday. I don't want to name drop, but I reached out to Tim and said, you know, um, a lot of us, myself included, decided to not endorse Trump because we had respect for Tim. Now, but there are two South Carolinians in the race, and, and I'll leave it there. A, a lot of us decided not to endorse Trump because of the friendship and, I guess, uh, <sighs> loyalty you know, uh, we had for for Tim Scott. I'm sure he got what you mean. Well, I mean, uh, grace and humility, dignity. I mean, those were the words I, I said, hey, man, you handled yourself with, with dignity and humility. I ran out of money, uh, ha- had a big donor on the hook that was going to fund some of what happened in Iowa. They kind of had a heart-to-heart, saw the writing on the wall, so to speak, and they agreed, he and a couple of big donors of his, that it just didn't make sense to go any further. It was pretty obvious they weren't getting anywhere, so to speak. And, um, and, you know, Tim can't be but so negative. I mean, his personality and life story almost insist that he's, you know, an inspirational sort of candidate. And, um, and the Republican electorate right now are just not very willing and interested in being inspired. I mean, they resent government. They're angry at government. Uh, they want to force change upon, upon government. Uh, you know, the one thing that I thought about this last night, and I'm jumping around. We got a lot of, um, I want to try to get Josh to help me play a few actualities here uh, in real time. Not in real time, but in recorded time on on Twitter. But um, I thought about Breeze. Breeze says there ain't a soul in Washington that would fight. You're wrong. There's a Republican <laughs> senator. That. And you got to like a dude with two names, Mark Wayne. I mean, that's his first two name. first name. Yeah, Mark Wayne Mullen. <laughs> Plumbing contractor. MMA fighter. There you go. Mark Wayne Mullen said, get some. So, so Breeze, you stand corrected. There is one. There might not be two, but there is one Republican in Washington that will, will take fiscal altercation to another level. There's a teamster boss named um, Sean O'Brien, and he is the biggest smartass you could imagine. I mean, he's got these um, these members of the Teamsters Union behind him. He's got to show them how big and bad he is, and he tweeted some things about Mark Wayne. Um, that Mark Wayne didn't care too much care for. So Mark Wayne said, I don't know if you've heard it or not. Have you heard it? No, I Let, did Let's not. try to pay, play yeah, that I, I when we get the, back on, I read the, the headline. on the other side. Now, here's the way it went down. Um, so Mark Wayne Mullen, Republican senator from Oklahoma, uh, and a bit of a cowboy, 
says to the union boss, you tweeted some things about me and my business and my personality and my intellect, and I'm not too fond of that. And he basically said, knock the cow crap off your boots and let's roll, cowboy. And then Bernie Sanders stood up, and it's hilarious when Bernie Sanders says, I mean, what, once a liberal, always a liberal. Once a bleeding heart liberal, always a bleeding heart liberal. Bernie Sanders says, this is not a meeting about physical abuse. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, how does Bernie say, how does he come up with that that quick? The genius of liberalism is on full display. Bernie Sanders says, you got to sit down and be quiet. You got to sit down and be quiet. You're a U.S. senator, and you're a guest in the Senate chamber or, or the subcommittee. And this is not a, a you know a um a hearing on physical abuse. <laughs> so Bernie Sanders went to the uh, kind of the uh, the liberal safe space. Of course, that's where yeah. he lives. Yeah, so, that, you know. that's exactly. It is so interesting how quickly he made it about physical abuse. You know, if you want to have a um a hearing on physical abuse, we'll certainly uh in in due time do that. But yeah, Breeze, we we, uh, we found our boy, and he's got two first names: Mark Wayne Mullen, plumbing contractor, MMA fighter. Republican senator from Oklahoma and basically said to the Teamsters boss, now's the time. Here's the place. Put them up. Yeah. And let, <laughs> Bring it on. And Bernie Sanders <laughs> said, this is not about, this is not a, I mean, it's so wild how quick he went there. This is not a, uh, a hearing on fiscal abuse. We'll have that next week. And, and we'll get you guys some counseling and safe space and some, <laughs> some, 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 some uh, teddy bears to hug, you know, to get rid of some of this angst and energy and energy you have. I want to try to find that. I'm sure it's on Twitter here. Uh, so you can hear, um, the, um, the back and forth. It's about a minute long between Mark Wayne Mullen, <laughs> plumbing contractor, MMA fighter, and distinguished Senator from Oklahoma. So you talked about speaking with Tim Scott yesterday, uh, the other presidential candidate from South Carolina, Nikki Haley, she said something and I read the headlines. I haven't heard it myself, but she said something that is Kind of alarming to me. Well, I mean, she's deep state. Right. I mean, he's deep state. It's about I've been telling you all that registering online. If you're on social media, they want to know who you are, verify your name and identification. Nikki moved from Bamberg to Kiowa. Somebody foot the bill. It's the deep state. Can can that be a winning message to Republican voters? I hope and pray not. I I, hope, let me reiterate, I hope and pray. Not. Um, Nikki moved from Bamberg to Kiowa. Did she win the lottery? No. Did she start a business? Uh, kind of, sort of. Who are her customers? Go plunder around and find out. <laughs> Take a break. Back in a few. Last time, Tim and I kind of had a back and forth. I uh, appreciate your demeanor today. It's quite different. But after you left here, you got pretty excited about the keyboard. In fact, you tweeted at me one, two, three, four five times. And let me read what the last one said. Um, it said, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Sir, I wish you was in the truck with me when I was building my plumbing company myself and my wife was running the office because I sure remember working pretty hard and long hours. Pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud. Always has been. Always will be. Quick the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy. Sir, this is a time, this is a place. <laughs> if you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? <laughs> I'd love to do it right now. Stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. 
Oh, hold on. Oh, hold, stop it. Is that your solution, every poll? No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Actively. Oh, okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond? Hold it. Hold it. If we can't, no, I have the mic. I'm sorry. This is what he said. You'll have your time. Okay. Can I respond? No, you can't. This is a hearing. And God knows the American people have enough of contempt for Congress. Let's not I don't make like it worse. Thugs and you, you have, and you have I don't like you because you just described yourself. Yeah. Hold it. You have the mic. Yeah. You have time. All make right. Your statement. And Everybody knows <laughs> Bernie. Oh, 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 hold it. He goes on to say, if you want to have a if we want to have a hearing on fiscal abuse, that's fine. I'd sign me up. I'll chair that. I'll chair that committee. It's so interesting how quick he reverts to. But anyway, we've all said we want fighters. Literally, I guess, and figuratively. And um Mark Wayne Mullen, <laughs> cowboy. <laughs> I think remember we talk about Phillips the gunslinger. Kind of gave him himself that name. Right. I mean, he, he, I think this guy wants to be known as Cowboy. You know, Cowboy Mark Wayne, Mark Wayne Mullen, plumbing contractor from Oklahoma. Uh, it, it's kind of <laughs> hilarious to watch him when he stands up. I mean, he's an MMA fighter. And I mean, I go to the gym a lot. So when he stood up, I said to myself, instantaneously, Cat goes to the gym. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, I didn't know he was an MMA fighter, but I went back and I think he was on. Um, I mean, he was not an accomplished MMA fighter. I think his record was three and five. <laughs> but, but stepping into the octagon eight times. Anybody that stepped to the octagon eight times would probably whoop up on any Teamsters Union boss other than Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, Hoffa would probably have you taken care of, you know, if, no, um, it, if push came came to shove. It's, that is guys, funny. it's so reflective of the founding of our nation. I mean, we had duels in the day. We had people beat unconscious in the halls of Congress back in the day. Um, and now we've got this decorum and uh, dignity and, and, you know, humility and grace and all these and all these qualities yeah, the and attributes. Bernie said was, you are a United States senator. Yeah. I mean, you, Senators you, don't you're fight. not a cowboy from Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, well, we know how you cowboys from Oklahoma are, but you decided to be U.S. senator. Well, what do we think of decorum? I mean, how many of you are just taken aback by that behavior and antic? I mean, I'm not for fiscal altercation, certainly not in a, in a subcommittee hearing. But, I mean, the guy said a lot of things, you know, name the place, name the time. <laughs> And I'm glad he called him out because behind the keyboard, the Teamster man, he was a tough man. You know, he was saying all these and things. And he may be a tough man. I mean, I don't he, know. He didn't back down from, no. from that challenge. Well, I so. mean, he knew. I mean, he had, his, he had his posse behind him. Sure. You know, he had the, um, the full force of the Teamsters and some of the workers and, and whatnot. It's just, I mean, it, it's a reflection of where we are in America today. But it's kind of a reflection of where we were and where if he's, we've historically been Decorum is a kind of a newfound element of politics. And what decorum basically means is sit down and shut up, do what we say, do. I mean, that's the interpretation of, of decorum. Sit down, shut up, and do what we say, do. I was talking with someone yesterday in the, uh, in the state party about the RNC chairmanship. And we started about Trump. And, you know, um, Tim got out. Mickey's still in. Um, so they've got to be real careful about you know, what they do and what they say. I mean, you've got a, you had a couple of South Carolinians running for president. Uh, you know, th they were consequential candidates. I mean, Tim left his mark on this race. Nikki obviously is leaving her mark on the race. And we, we started talking a little bit about this conundrum. And that's been my word uh, since it all began. This Trump phenomenon integrated um, not so seamlessly into the Republican uh, Party and the, the truth is, the problem in Washington, I can't speak to Columbia because I don't think it's that severe, 
but we're, we're using this as an example of an offense to decorum. I mean, men, grown men there as a Teamsters, Teamsters Union boss or a U.S. senator should know better than to behave that way. Well, here's the angst, guys. Trust me on this. Here's the problem. Trump shows up and brings this mindset. There's a new sheriff in town, and we're not doing things the way we historically have done things. Well, if you're a lobbyist and you've got clients and you've had the majority of these people in your back pocket, and, I mean, you knew how the game worked because you helped build the game. You know how the system played because you helped build the system. And all of a sudden, there's this new energy that shows up. And you can't tell your clients when this will get done or if it'll get done at all. But imagine if you're a lobbyist for Raytheon. We've never bucked a foreign spending bill. I mean, we've exported the American empire bipartisanship, right? And all of a sudden, the mindset changes inside the Beltway, and there's this, you know, cabal of renegades, rebels, and outlaws that show up. And I guess Mark Wayne Mullen would be one of those. He kind of got elected during the um, the Trump phenomenon. He would be an America First senator from Oklahoma. But all of a sudden, the lobbyists have to get on the phone and call their clients and say, I don't know if we can get this done or not. I mean, I don't know when we can get this done. I mean, I know you need to sell javelin missiles. And historically, I've been able to go to this senator, that senator, another senator, and get them to commit to support this um this bipartisan Ukrainian support bill. I don't know that they'll do it now. I mean, imagine the angst. Imagine if you build a world and your million-dollar salary was based on lobbying for three or four companies that depend on the government doing certain things. And all of a sudden, those lobbyists call Raytheon and say, hey, I know you got me hired to do this job, and historically we've done this job, but I'm not sure we can do it this time. I mean, you've got this element within one of these parties that are just obstinate. I mean, they're difficult. They're not giving in here. And I think we're at that moment. I think we're at a moment in American history right now where some of this opposition to the establishment, I think some thought would kind of play out and lose some of its steam, and it's only getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and if Trump wins in 2024, I mean, that would be the ultimate game changer. But I mean, imagine if you were earning a couple of million dollars a year and you had six clients and you told your clients yes 95% of the time. And all of a sudden you're telling your clients yes 50% of the time. I mean, what does your client think of the job you're doing? I mean, you're, you're, you're a well-established, well-heeled, influential lobbyist. You built the machine. I mean, you're partially in control of the machine, and all of a sudden, the machine doesn't respond. The machine doesn't give you back the results that you've historically become accustomed to. It's a given that we're going to give Ukraine more money. It's a given that we're going to do X, Y, or Z in Israel to help them defeat Hamas. And all of a sudden, what has historically been kind of just understood, handshake, wink, and nod, you have questions about, concerns about. And that lobbyist has to get on the phone and call the CEO at Raytheon or the governmental affairs director at Raytheon and say, look, man, I know what we've always done, but I'm not sure we're doing that this time. I'm not sure some of these senators are going along with this. And a lot of these House members, these crazy Freedom Caucus members, I mean, imagine how anxious you would be. And not only that, imagine how angry you would be at Trump and his voters. I mean, imagine if a $2 million income as an established lobbyist in Washington, depended on government doing X. Trump shows up. His army shows up. He influences some of these office holders. The man on the street doesn't think we should do that. And I'm going to represent the man on the street. And all of a sudden, that lobbyist says, hey, man, this senator doesn't represent us anymore. He represents his constituency. 
I mean, imagine that. The voters back home don't want us sending more money to Ukraine. So I don't know what to tell you. Well, you know what Raytheon's eventually going to do? Well, we don't need you any longer. I mean, if you can't deliver, if you can't convince the Senate to do what we need done, then why do we need you lobbying on our behalf? That's kind of where we are. There's the resentment for Trump. It's not ideological. It's not orange man bad. We built the machine. Somebody comes up or shows up and begins tweaking or tinkering with the machine, and my $2 million salary may end up being a a half million dollars. What do I do about my house in the Hamptons? I mean, I own a third of an airplane. I'm a member at Firestone Country Club with Joe Biden and the DuPonts. What do I do about all that? I mean, I've got a lifestyle, and these senators have decided they're going to represent the interests of the people back home. That's not what Washington is about, is it? Take a break. Back in a few. In the 7 o'clock hour, I want to delve into some of this. I mean, I want to spend a good bit of the next five minutes uh, going over. Rev wants to hear something Nikki Haley said yesterday that proves to me all of my suspicions. Nikki has, I mean, she's a talented politician. There's no doubt about that. She has met luck more than most. For whatever reason, things kind of break her way. Now, once again, things breaking your way and not being prepared to seize the moment and be talented enough to to take advantage of the moment. It doesn't matter how many breaks I got. I ain't playing cornerback in the NFL. Okay? So so I'm not saying it's all about luck. She and it's has all about seized timing. the moment. She has seized the moment. No doubt about it. And she's politically astute. There, there is no question about that. But there's a lot of concern about Nikki being uh, all things to all people. And she's historically tried to be that. And that's a natural inclination for a politician to have. Uh, you want to be this to them. And I want to be, when I'm, uh, Josh has me coming to speak to his crowd, and I say these things, and Rev has me come to speak to his crowd, and I say these things. They're not inconsistent with my belief, but I don't care anywhere near about that stuff as much as Josh does or Rev does, but I've got to convince them that I do, right? I mean, Rev's a home builder. Josh is a banker, and I go to speak at a bunch of bankers, and I got to talk about finance and deregulation. And, and then when, when I go talk to Rev's crowd of the home builders, I got to talk about the cost of construction and you know, inflation, and we, we got to make it easier to get land planned and zoned and, and you know, the infrastructure costs. And also, you know, maybe I care about some of those things. Maybe I don't, but i got to convince them. Nikki's always been exceptionally talented at that. I mean, if she's in a room full of people with a specific interest, she's as interested in that as they are, and she convinces them. Um, but but every now and then, the 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 dots get so far apart, you just can't connect. And I've always said that Nikki is an establishment Republican. Nikki is a deep stater without without question to me. And I think I know. I mean, I spent a year and a half in room after room after room after room, venue after venue after venue after venue, um, hearing speeches and listening to her answer questions. And she heard me answer questions. And of course, she's evolved. That would have been 2010. It's 13 years later. Sure, she's evolved. And she is a politician of accomplishment now. But I want you to hear something. It's an actuality that we're going to play, Josh, if you don't mind. Um, get us in queue. And it's um, it's Nikki basically showing or revealing her deep state um, inclinations, if you will. And, I mean, she kind of lets her guard down and gets rolling a little bit and, and basically at the end of says it's common sense. But she's offering these proposals under the premise that people trust their government. I mean, in other words, if well, let's let's let I don't want to speak for her. Let's listen to um, got about twenty about thirty seven seconds, Josh, of um, Governor Nikki Haley. 
into office, the first thing we have to do, social media accounts, social media companies, they have to show America their algorithms. Let us see why they're pushing what they're pushing. The second thing is every person on social media should be verified by their name. That's, first of all, it's a national security threat. When you do that, all of a sudden, people have to stand by what they say, and it gets rid of the Russian bots, the Iranian bots, and the Chinese bots. And then you're going to get some civility when people know their name is next to what they say. Accountability. And they know their pastor and their family member is going to see it. It's going to help our kids, and it's going to help our country. When but, but what she's saying, guys, is give the government more of your information. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, yeah, if I the like government that. were trustworthy, if the government were being run in America today by Mother Teresa, I think we'd all be inclined to say, okay, give them my number, give them my information, give them my data. But, but the government historically and time and time again have you know, convinced you or me, they, I can't speak for you, they've convinced me they can't be trusted with my data. Remember the appearance that one of the national security agents made and Rand Paul said, are you collecting emails? No, we'd never do that. Are you collecting private messages? No, we'd never do that. Came back a year later and without perjuring himself said, ah, oh, last time I was here, I didn't tell you the whole story. We have done a good bit of that. I mean, it's the name of national security. You know what Nikki said? National security. That's deep state lingo. National security. I mean, do we need this information for national security? Or do you need that information to find out who's saying what so you can go tell them to shut up? I mean, to me, that's, that, that's my initial reaction, that Governor Haley, a Republican, a limited government First Amendment Republican, says Josh can't put things on social media unless he puts his name beside it. In other words, if Josh says government sucks anonymously, he's breaking the rule and regulation that Haley would implement. If Josh says government sucks on social media, Josh must put his name to it. Is Josh more or less likely to put government sucks if he has to sign his name to it? I mean, he's much less likely. The last thing Josh wants is a knock on his door from the FBI, correct? Hey, did you say government sucks? No. Well, I didn't. (laughs) Well, I mean, you signed your name to it. Yeah, Haley made me do that. You know, that conservative president that we elected, she made me do that. She said the only reason they want to know was introduce civility. Well, I mean, she said that, but we're the FBI. We're, we're not civility police. We're here to make sure people don't complain about their government, don't chastise their government. There's no way you can say that and not be a deep state Republican. You just can't. You can't fix your mouth to say that. So what Haley has done is declared her path. I think she did it a couple of weeks back. Nikki Haley has decided... I'm going to be the media darling and the choice of the deep state. I mean, that, that's her path. I mean, I, I don't know where the ceiling is. Is it 25? Is it 30? Don't have any idea what that ceiling is. Comes along with some support, some donor sure, money. Sure, I mean, there's a lot of donor money here. Every time you say the national security phrase, you get a ching-ching. I mean, there's a deposit <laughs> made in your account. National security. Raytheon, your turn. National security. McDonnell Douglas, your turn. Uh, national security. General Dynamics, your turn. Uh, hey, Nikki said national security twice yesterday. Honeywell, can you pony up? General Dynamics, can you send a check as well? She will raise enormous amounts of money talking about national security because that kind of, you know, that, that validates the military-industrial complex and the exportation or exploitation of, you know, the, the American empire. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Good morning. You know, and, and here's the thing, Ken. 90% of the people listen to that on its surface said, oh, wonderful. You know what I mean? Because they make it say, oh, well, we're going to protect you from the Russian bots, the Iranian bots. Well, first of all, you're a damn fool if you don't realize that Facebook isn't just the daggone work of Satan himself. There's not, there are very 
good on Facebook. Only good you see on Facebook, really, when you start talking politics, you got to realize you're in the realm of evil right there. The only good thing on Facebook is you posted a picture of you doing a set of curls and me telling you, good job, brother. That's the only time Facebook is good. Other than that, anything to do with politics on Facebook, you're entering a realm, a dark realm, and that's just that. But, you know, you're talking you're talk about the senator that was willing to fight. And, you know, and what I've always said was most of these senators, like, you know, okay, how many senators are in the Ukraine right now fighting alongside the Ukrainians because they believe so much of what Belinsky is doing? None. How many senators are willing to go over to Israel and say, you know, and say, hey, I brought my group. This is uh, I said, like the kid and Breeze, and we're coming. We're a couple of senators. We got us a couple of thousand boys from uh, from South Carolina, and we're coming over to fight with you guys. You know, that's how they used to do it a thousand years ago, five hundred, even World War Two. Men would go over to help fight uh, the Germans and stuff. And maybe, and, and I'd have to say, World War Two, Korea, we probably didn't have a choice. Probably screwed up Korea. But you know what? You need to look at. You look at all of the people that have died because of what these folks have done, these senators, these House members, these Raytheons, and all of that. Look at all of the people that have died for them to make their money. And they're no different than the pharmaceutical folks. Look at all the people that died there so they can make their money. Because people are dying right now. But, you know, you look at, you even go to Africa, and you see these movies where, you have these open-air markets where they're selling RPGs, AK-47s, any kind of gun you can imagine that is being sold. Well, somebody made those guns and made a profit off of it. You know, anytime you sit there and send arms, you know, to any country, not only are you sending arms, you're sending everything that goes along with it. And, and all of these international globalist countries that don't give a crap about the American kids that are get killed over there, do you think anybody at Raytheon, do you think any of the politicians in the Ukraine, do you think any of the politicians in Russia give a rat's behind about all of the people that have died from the Ukraine? And let's not forget this. I've got a client that's Russian. He's lived here a year. And he says there's nobody in Russia that wants to be fighting in the Ukraine, and there's nobody in Russia thinks they're fighting in the Ukraine in some, some way, shape, or form, protecting them from an invasion from the West, because nobody in Russia that thinks at all, and will talk, but you know, talk, you know, without being overheard, thinks that going the West is ready to invade them anyway. So it's all a farce, you know. And it, and what happens when they, if the Chinese invade Taiwan? But that, that would make Raytheon, nothing would make Colt, nothing would make any of these arm manufacturers happier. You know, I mean, and, 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 and people are dying from it. Yeah, a lot of people. Breeze, we got to take a break. A lot of people are dying. Breeze said something up there. I've got a couple of articles here I want to touch on and um, some consistent themes for us who don't have a lot of faith in our federal government. Back in a few. Josh, what is yes. the worst part of war? Hmm. The food. <laughs> um, Funny guy. Yeah, I don't. Uh, killing? Yeah, I would some say. of the death, yeah. death. some of the, the yeah. human carnage, right? Some of the number of people fighting for or against, you know, um, 
defending, uh, attacking. It's still human life gone forever, yeah. extinguished. Um, we're far enough down the road now to look back at a lot of us vaccine skeptics and say, hey, we were right more than we were wrong. I mean, what did we base that on? I mean, I have no scientific training. I have no medical training, no biological training. I'm just highly skeptical of government. And and I remember the day brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by Pfizer, brought to you by Pfizer, and, and I, just, I don't know about this, man. I mean, something just doesn't smell right. I remember another moment in this show's existence that I was getting lectured to by medical professionals about my not encouraging people. Listen to what I just said. I never discouraged anybody from getting the vaccine. Never did I discourage anybody from getting the vaccine. I said with complete total clarity, if you take advice from me, then that's your fault, not mine. I'm not going to get vaccinated because I feel like I'm healthy. Uh, I don't have any comorbidities. And I, I made a calculus that at my age and my condition, it's riskier for me to take an experimental vaccine than it is my chances with COVID. That was a very uh, a normal processing of a way to make a, a conscious decision. I stand by that decision. I am still unvaccinated. I had COVID once. I've never had it again. I had some complications. I felt like crap for a day or two or three. The flu was worse, but COVID knocked me down. Uh, we did a radio show. From my kitchen table, we didn't announce that to the world because we were concerned about, ah, people are nervous about this and that and the other, and they may look down upon us for doing a radio show, but we did a radio show, um, and Rev and I both believe we had it, mm -hmm. but we did a radio show from my home at my kitchen table. Many of you may not know that. We never missed a broadcast during the entire COVID events. We never didn't uh, do a live broadcast, but we did about four or five, and then we called a break. Um, the week of July 4th came next. Uh, I don't know what we've done and not been for July 4th, but I remember telling, I mean, Rev felt bad. I felt bad, but I felt like we had to do a job. We, we actually adjusted vacation week. We were scheduled we to take vacation the week after July 4th. Well, this, this happened in the, about the third week of June. We did the shows at your house and then we pushed our vacation up to the week before July 4th. And then by the time we came back after vacation and I, and I felt bad, but, but I've had the flu before, and I felt worse. I mean, the flu ripped, I mean, it whips your butt. COVID makes you feel bad. Somewhere between the flu and a cold. But I stand by the decision I made, and I stand by the comments I made during the process. And I go back to that one moment when someone texted me from the medical community and said, you're getting out of your lane now. You're beginning to sound like you're giving medical advice. And I responded almost instantaneously I'm a politician. You have no idea how far you are in my lane. And I stand by that. I believe to some degree health care was corrupted by the political system and financial contributions made by people who had enormous vested interest. Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson. Um, many medical providers off the record said, you know, we don't know enough. We're concerned that we're kind of jumping the gun here. I get it. I mean, we were sort of making up, making it up as we go, and I respect that um, to some degree. But the skeptics weren't allowed to participate in the debate. I mean, if you had anything to say about, you know, kind of negative about the vaccine or the vaccine mandates, we know that Twitter censored. We know that Facebook censored. 
some of the content moderation by both of those social media companies. You were not a frequent guest on MSNBC or CNBC for that matter. Um, remember the guy that I mean, I'm trying to think of his name. His name escapes me now. He's a credible person, but he was on the board at Pfizer. He's former like, like oh, FDA Scott, director, uh, Scott Gottlieb. Yep. Scott Gottlieb but went on CNBC, which is a financially oriented um, network, and basically encouraged people, you're, you're making a bad mistake, you're taking a terrible risk if you don't go get the vaccine. Now, they never said, they always said he's a former FDA director. They never said he's a, uh, a Pfizer board member until the public became skeptical and said, this Scott Gottlieb guy that's telling everybody to go get vaccinated, I mean, I know he's a former FDA director, but isn't he? Oh, yeah, he's a Pfizer board member. Well, I mean, eventually they disclosed that uh, to the public. But I, I just saw too many political things at work. And I'd say there's no way I'm taking those people to their word. I'm sorry, I'm just not taking those people at their word. I think the one advice we probably gave, Rev, I uh, stand corrected. I think I did say that from the information I've read and the sources I trust, if you're over the age of 60 and you have some health complications, you do have some comorbidities. You probably go get go get vaccinated. I mean, if you're over the age of sixty and you've got some issues, it is probably in your best interest to go get vaccinated. If you're under the age of sixty, you're reasonably healthy. Make that choice and consult with your physician and medical care provider. But vaccine skeptics were frowned down upon. I mean, you lost your job, Josh. That's right. I mean, you, you lost a job because you chose to not take people at their word and go get a vaccine that we didn't know much about. Let us go to Ukraine because we're beginning to learn some things and understand some things about Ukraine. Uh, remember how many people had the Ukrainian flag on their, uh, on their I don't know, screen? What am I trying to say here? There's their, their profile. Yeah, their profile of a Ukrainian flag here, Ukrainian flag there. Uh, when I go to the beach, there's a guy to the right of the public access that has a, an American flag. I think it's a beer distributor. They got a Budweiser flag. Replace that with a Ukrainian flag. I mean, that was cute. Um, do you know why you're doing that? Do you know why you're flying that? But we were we were Ukrainian doves. I mean, those of us who said, man, I just don't know that we need to be funding that to the extent that some of the military-industrial complex are, have decided how invested Americans need to be in this, um, this territorial dispute as Ron DeSantis famously said and paid a price for it by the media that wanted to fan the flames of imperialism and interventionism and whatnot. And remember the words, I mean, remember the word um, Hitler and Neville Chamberlain, appeasement. I mean, that, that, you know, if I was, and I, I, I am a vaccine skeptic and I am a Ukraine dove, I'll say that again. I mean, those are my official stances. I am a vaccine skeptic and I am a Ukraine dove. I want to read some numbers because it's interesting now. The Ukrainian government is being encouraged now to begin thinking about brokering a peace deal. Uh, I'll read a quote on NBC News website from Friday of last week. You ready? The conversations have included very broad outlines of what Ukraine might give up to reach a deal. The discussions are an acknowledgement of the dynamics militarily on the ground in Ukraine and politically in the U.S. and Europe. So we're, we're basically now suggesting, and I'm talking about both sides of the Atlantic. I'm talking about America and the European Union. We're suggesting to Zelensky and, and crew. Now, remember Zelensky spoke at the joint chamber or the joint um, sessions of Congress, and Pelosi and Kamala Harris held up a Ukrainian flag. 
And, you know, Russia was to be defeated and Putin and uh, Hitler and Neville Chamberlain. We didn't want to be Neville Chamberlain and Putin was going to take over the world. And, you know, we took that chance in the 40s. We can't take that chance again. Let's look at some statistics that I think are very alarming and interesting. The media doesn't talk much about this, but there's um, there's a way you can find some of these things in some of the military reporting and some of the um, uh, some of the publications that concentrate more heavily on on military endeavors than than others. Um, I mean, once again, I was a dove, and I got confronted about. Well, remember Hitler? We don't want to be Neville Chamberlain. Uh, you, you're 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 a pacifist, are you? I mean, I thought you were a good old red blooded Republican. Are you a pacifist now? Uh, you back in this appeasement of the uh, historical, the Woodstock crowd on the left, the anti-Vietnam crowd. Well, let me give you some numbers, because Josh said it. Human loss of life. Let, let's look at the situation Ukraine finds itself in today. Pre-war, the day before Putin invaded, and I'm not defending anything Putin did, and I think Ukrainians have every right and should defend their borders and should defend their sovereignty. But at what cost? I mean, is a good peace deal better than a bad war? And the word word I keep going back to is conquest. Name a nation's boundaries that aren't settled via conquest. And, and here may be a bigger problem. The, 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 the problem in America today, or the problem in the world today, post-Second World War, we've left the end of wars open-ended. At the end of the Second World War, Germany and Japan were flattened. But they had no leverage. They had no negotiating power. What have we said? The American century, Right. I mean, where's the United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, the, the, the petrodollar? There was a clear winner. The, the war ended, and Japan didn't say, hey, I'll give you this to get that. I mean, we rebuild Japan. We helped rebuild Europe and Germany and some of these other nations that were just totally torn apart and decimated. But there was a clear winner, and there was no debate about what was going to happen after that fact. Japan and Germany were the losers. I mean, their, their nations were devastated and decimated, but the war had a clear winner. And since the Second World War, it seems to me that we've kind of left some of the, the end of some of these wars have been ambiguous. Rev, did you, uh, I mean, I know we killed more yours than you, and we got more territory than him, but, but I mean, who really won? And we make these concessions, and it leads to another conflict and another conflict that there's never no certainty at the conclusion of a war. And I go back to the end of, because I went back and looked. Every war America has been involved in since the Second World War, every military incursion, it's been so unknown. I mean, who gets what? Who goes where? How much money did we spend? How much did they spend? But Japan and Germany had no choice. I mean, you accept this or else. I mean, here's a surrender treaty. You sign, and you're basically subservient in whatever negotiations happen after the fact. But let's just go to Ukraine because we were told that if we'd only support Zelensky and his, you know, his, um, his emotionally charged, enthusiastic defense of his homeland uh, against the tyrannical dictatorship of Vladimir Putin, the world will be a better place. Because remember what Neville Chamberlain did, and thank God for Winston, for Winston Churchill. How many, how many Ukrainians had to die? For that to happen, the pre-war population of Ukraine was 45 million. You know what it is today, Josh? What? 29 million. Oh. 16 million Ukrainians have been displaced. I mean, they're living all over the world. 
I mean, they're, 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 they're seeking safe haven in places all over the world. Some are more receptive than others, but we got 16 million people that don't live there anymore. And a lot of research shows that the birth rate, so some of the economic conditions, the Ukrainians find, I mean, the entire nation will take about $500 billion to be rebuilt. The UN will give some, so some of the NATO nations, I would imagine, will be kind and generous and contributing borrowed money to try and help uh, them restore some economic viability. Um, nine and a half million of the 29 million are working. I mean, 20 million aren't working. There's no economy there. I mean, the country's been torn to smithereens. They've lost 55,000 men since February. Remember the offensive began in February? The, the counteroffensive that was going to liberate Ukraine to defeat Russia? Now, 55,000 people. There's not been a single day since February that 100 or more Ukrainians didn't die. Think about that, guys. There's not been a single day since February that more than 100 Ukrainians have not lost their life. For what? Defending their homeland? Honorable. Fighting for the national sovereignty? Honorable. But at what point in time did we know that we were pissing in the wind? At what point in time did the military-industrial complex look around and say, there's no way Ukraine can... J.D. Vance said, this is absurd. I mean, this is peddling fantasy. We're letting Zelensky come to Washington and convince us that he's going to defeat the Russian army? And, and, and a, an American politician convincing their constituency if we only send them another $10 billion? I mean, it was to weaken Russia. We didn't care how many Ukrainians died. We never gave a rat's ass how many people in other nations die. As long as Raytheon can sell another javelin, as long as the, the, the American empire can become more interventionist and more profitable, that's what this has always been about. And I think Breeze touched on this, and Josh nailed it. The most, the, 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 most, the most important part of a war is to remember human beings in Russia, in Ukraine, in Poland, in, in Slovakia, wherever. I mean, what name a place formerly or is a country today, America, Mexico. I mean, that, those are human beings that I would argue probably didn't ask for war. Hamas, a different story. They're terrorists. I mean, they're a terrorist organization. And, and I'll, I'll go to that in just a couple of minutes. I know we got to take a break here, Josh. But, but the Israel's not going to make the mistake that most countries have made at the end of military conflict. They're not going to leave it open-ended. They're going to be certain and assured that Hamas is defeated and will make the rules thereafter. I, I want to come back to that. we got to take a break. Back in just a few moments. <laughs> I want to go back to this. I mean, because once again, I mean, this is their words, not mine. Uh, the Ukrainian government is now being encouraged to seek some sort of peace deal. And here's the NBC News report. The conversations have included very broad outlines of what Ukraine might need to reach up, uh, to give up, to reach a deal. The discussions are an acknowledgement of the dynamics militarily on the ground in Ukraine and politically in U.S. And you remember early on when Israel tried to broker a peace deal. And the United States nixed it. Mm -hmm. I don't I mean, actually. It, yeah, I mean, is, Israel yeah. said, "Hey, we we've got both sides agreeing." I understand that Ukrainians believe that territory belongs to them. I mean, the Donbas and some of the. I understand that. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I'm not from there. It, it's Eastern Europe. It's complicated. It's very tribal. It's very uh, history and ancient oriented. But 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 the truth is that Russia was going to always succeed in gaining control of whatever territories they chose to gain 
control over because the world's boundaries have historically been drawn by conquest. The sitting knew. I mean, this is look at history throughout the world uh, to the victor go the spoils. And, and Zelensky was allowed to address the joint bodies of Congress and encourage more and more American money. And the more money Americans spent, the more likely it is more Ukrainians were going to die. And, and the question you've got to ask yourself is, in, in a boardroom at Raytheon or at a, at, a, at a private meeting with the Senate, did somebody not say, guys, there's no way Ukraine can defeat Russia? I mean, if we continue spending this amount of money, it's going to only lead to more loss of human life. Shouldn't we try to encourage Ukraine to bro- – I know they don't want to give up Donbass. I know they don't want to give us some of this Russian-speaking areas in Ukraine. I get it. I understand it. But, I mean, you know as well as I do that conquest has always been law of the land, and Russia's going to be successful in securing uh, more of their property. So, so why do you let Zelensky come – unless you don't care how many people die. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's something, that's, I mean, it's hard to imagine that there is a kind of a calculus made. Um, if Raytheon can convince its lobbyists, and I pick on Raytheon because I think they're the first or second. McDonnell Douglas may be a bigger defense contractor than Raytheon, but um, Raytheon's kind of married at the hip with BlackRock. The, the majority of deals that Raytheon does with the government, BlackRock finances and, and acts as some um, financial agent in most of those um, of those transactions, but there's no way that somebody in one of those rooms didn't say, "Wow, doesn't it make more sense to discontinue funding for Russia and Ukraine to come to some resolve and save a lot of lives?" I mean, doesn't that make a lot more sense? But we didn't do that. I mean, we didn't do that. We kept funding the beast. We kept feeding the machine, and more and more Ukrainians lost their lives. And fifty-five thousand Ukrainian men. Uh, but they're, they're beginning to have to bring in 50-year-old servicemen, 55-year-old men now are being asked to fight. Why? Because they've killed all the young men. I mean, all the appear, young men are dead. It would appear the priority is not the lives in some of these decisions. Well, I mean, and that's, that's what we've got to convince ourselves of. And the reason I used um, I mean, the power of the government, I mean, if, if the government's willing to, to use a pandemic to generate profit by some of its key supporters, and I'm talking about Big Pharma, and don't fool yourselves, guys. I mean, this was about the money. The mandates, I mean, the, the organized way we, I mean, they're, they're telling how many people made how much money during COVID. I mean, there is no telling the amounts of money made by certain companies that were lined up with Big Pharma, lined up with health care. At the expense of just completely and totally obliterating normalcy in our, in our society, that's what your government chose to do. And subsequently, your government chose to put forth the charade and convince some of you that, uh, yeah, Ukraine's an underdog, but they got this Zelensky guy. I mean, he lifts weights and he wears fatigues. He's kind of a badass. And those Russians better be careful. And if we can only get him another $20 billion, then maybe he's successful in defeating the Russians. And all we did was try to weaken Russia to lift up the American empire. Weak Russia, stronger America, right? I mean, every time Russia gets weaker, America, by definition, gets stronger. Yeah, but the Ukrainians are getting slaughtered. And that's what, you know, that's a part of the country, that part of the world. It's always been a bit controversial. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning, Joe. You're on. 
Yeah, the, the amazing thing that I've never understood is why is it okay for Russia to invade Ukraine, destroy their country, and Ukraine can't go into Russia and and destroy parts of Russia to make it hard on their people? I mean, it's a one-way affair. I've never understood that. And it seems like the... Well, I mean, but, but you don't, I mean, if Ukraine were capable, you don't think Ukraine would do that if they were capable? Well, we all know they're not capable, but what I'm saying is it's almost like they're using Ukraine as a money laundering operation. That's exactly what they did. You nailed it. See, my, my job to call in is make the host look good. And <laughs> well, no, no, I don't, I don't ever want you to think that's your job. I want your job to be speak your piece and always believe what you say. You do that, and I respect your your opinion. But yeah, but that, it, it, Ukraine was a laundering operation for the American Empire and military industrial complex. You nailed it. There was yeah, never a belief in Washington, Joe, that Ukraine could successfully defeat Russia. But there was money to be made, and they didn't care at what expense. And there's money to be made afterwards. That's that's the biggest thing. This this isn't 1945 anymore. We don't, you know, we're not the big dog in the world as far as monetary policy goes. So, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, I don't know. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. It's just kind of hard to wrap your head around. I mean, I think all of us have a problem. We believe that the government will do X, Y, and Z. There are some things we just don't believe. There's no way the government would do that. The government would not be complicit in in basically a money laundering operation to make sure, you know, everybody got fat and happy and 55,000 Ukrainian men died fighting for valor, fighting for honor, fighting for day. I mean, there's no doubt about it, that it's wrong. I mean, I'm not suggesting that what Putin did was right. I mean, I think Putin is an evil dictator. I think he's a thug. I think all those things we say about him are 100% absolutely true. But the world's boundaries are drawn based on conquest. And Ukraine was never going to defeat Russia. Never going to defeat Russia. But they could weaken Russia. And as long as they weakened Russia and, and, and used some of the military arsenal that had to be replaced by, I mean, how many times did you hear the Ukrainians running out of bullets? Well, I mean, they don't make bullets oh, yeah. in Ukraine, right? Somebody in America makes the bullets. I mean, the American government purchases the bullets. They send them to Ukraine, and and Ukrainians die more and more and more and more. I want to read this verbatim because this is in the article that I read, and I think it's very, very, very enlightening uh, when when you – and it's not my words. It's the writer's words, but but he says, and I quote. You ready? Um, In other words, just as pro-peace voices had warned, Ukraine is now looking at the worst of both worlds accepting a far inferior peace deal while having weathered the tremendous human and economic cost of a prolonged conflict. More perversely, Kiev has been put into this position by those who postured as its most ardent supporters, the hawks who thought of the war as a way of humiliating Russia on the cheap. I mean, the alarm goes off. That's exactly what it is. Can we weaken Russia? Yes. How many Ukrainians die? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. There's a double whammy here. We weaken Russia, and the military-industrial complex keeps rolling. Yeah, but what about these Ukrainian kids that are giving their lives in the name of valor and dignity and honor? Well, I mean, you know, 
that's a hell of a way to die. I mean, wouldn't you rather die defending your homeland than on a plane from Chicago to Los Angeles? That's the point. I mean, that's the sort of energy and, and, and commitment to the bottom line that we're dealing with. Let's go to the phone. Anthony in North Carolina. Good morning. You're on. Hey, fellas. I was going to call a few weeks ago, Ken, but you made a statement saying that if a Palestinian person calls you with a story about what's happening over there in, in, in Palestine, that you wouldn't believe them. So, so that kind of rubbed me the wrong way of saying that it, unless you are pro-Israel, don't really call the station because you, know, you ain't trying to uh, uh, hear them. But my other call yesterday. I, I don't remember saying that. I mean, if I, I, don't, I don't remember yeah, saying that. Yeah, you, um, you say if a Palestinian person calls you with a story about what's happening in Palestine, you probably won't believe them. Well, I, I, I know I said if Hamas, if a member of Hamas called me and said what was happening, I wouldn't believe that. But I've always distinguished uh, Palestinians from Hamas. Okay. Now, back in the day, we had a uh, president, I believe Woodrow Wilson. He was part of the Klan, and he made some statements, same way Hamas made statements about the, uh, the Jews, but he made them about the Jews and about black people here in America because he was part of the Klan. Now, black people didn't say all white people are part of the Klan because white people didn't step up the same way the Palestinians are not stepping up. We uh, separated the, Pal- the, the Klan from the regular white person. But um, with Hamas, we saying kill them all. And that's crazy how um, we say on one hand for the abortion, save it into life, on the other hand, tell Israel to kill every woman, man, and child in that area. That's, 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 that's crazy. But I believe it's that way because we have too many generic Americans here in America. Just now you said something that people were saying when the war first started about this is crooked, this is, is, is a money grab. But so many people are generic Americans that when something is going on, like right now with Israel, They'll follow the storyline or whatever the news people say, and then six months later, they're like, oh, no, that was wrong. They should have done that whatever. It happens over and over and over again. Uh, my last comment is that white people in America are majority. Y'all have the power to really, really change what's happening here in America. But you got to stop being so gullible. I mean, one thing about uh, um, Bill O'Reilly he had something right. Whenever somebody came on his show and he didn't agree with them, he would ask them, where do you work at? Who supports you or whatever? And as soon as, as, soon as, as, as um, they get off the air, he would say, well, if you support, by the blind, by the blind, you support this person right here. And same thing for us. We got to start finding out the, the source of money for these companies. I don't care if it's American people stop buying cars for one year. Stop buying new cars for one year. Stop buying new something for one year. Make them feel it. This thing about voting, sending, sending one person to the White House every two or four years to change something, that ain't going to happen. Call your, your Congress, your senator, call his phone a thousand times. That don't mean nothing. The machine's still going to keep going. We as people, American people, have to do something like stop spending money a certain place, stop buying gas for a certain amount of time. No actions, prayer without, prayer, prayer without works is no good. And all we're doing is praying and ain't doing nothing. We all have a good day, though, fellas. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Josh is playing the music. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. Our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Kurt in Florence. Good morning, Kurt. You're on. Well, good morning, gentlemen. It's good to be with you, and I'm enjoying the show. Thank you. Thank you. 
I have a challenge. I'm a little bit perturbed and a little bit confused regarding our First Amendment rights, the freedom of speech, and also what's going on with Hamas and Israel. What I find frustrating about it is that uh, you have people who are arguing against Israel and all the things that they are doing right now to try to protect themselves and be at war. But the protesters are using language such as, I am Hamas. Well, Hamas is a terrorist organization that is our enemy. Why aren't they getting arrested? Because they can't claim First Amendment privilege because they are claiming to be a terrorist. So how does that work? Ah, that, that's it. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. That's interesting. I mean, that's, you know, can you yell fire in a crowd of theater? Uh, the First Amendment. Does the First Amendment give you the right to say, you know, I support Hamas? Yes, of course it does. Um, should there be any consequence for, for supporting Hamas? Uh, probably not. I mean, not if we believe in the First That's kind of the interesting slippery slope debate about the First and Second Amendment. For all of the amendments, for that matter, are they absolute rights? Um should someone, Josh, I'll ask you this. Um, should someone be allowed in the public square to say, I support Hamas beheading Jewish children? Uh, yeah, I, th- yeah, I, I mean, I think they should. I, mean, I think they should. I absolutely do think they should. Um, should a government agency endorse? Should, should someone in charge of government agency, someone running the Department of Immigration, uh, DEA, whatever, whatever that agency is, should that person be allowed on their own time on their private Twitter account or, or Facebook page uh, or, you know, TikTok, Instagram, whatever, whatever, express that opinion that they are celebrating. I guess what I'm asking is, do you accept a certain responsibility that curtails your right to free speech when you become kind of a public figure, when, when you be, become the person in charge well, of a government when, when agency. You, when you're representing your employer and making inflammatory statements, you may have to face the consequences. Well, yeah, and, and what are those consequences? Yeah. But should you be allowed to say that? Yeah, I, I think yes, uh, but like uh, Dave was kind of saying just now, it's there are consequences, but, you know, it's like what should those consequences be? I mean, if it's free speech, you know, it's like, if they say, oh, you have the right to free speech, but if you say, uh, I don't like this, then you're going to get fired and you can't have a bank account and whatever, then do you really have free speech? Well, you can say it. And, you know, if there's no harm and you're like, like, like what I'm talking about is if. And that's an extreme example. Yeah. I mean, we, we would agree to that. Yeah. That's an extreme example. But, but, you know, the government shouldn't be able to put you in jail saying and expressing your opinion no but they should is. be able to terminate your employment but if the government is your employer or a private company is your employer and you put something on social media or say something publicly that is you know inflammatory perceived or reflects you know uh, badly on your employer then yeah they can terminate you but what if what if the consensus in america was that well actually the uh the gazan citizens are the victims and idf is the real terrorist group here should you guys be fired for saying that? If that's no, I, mean, I, no, I, I think we should be allowed to say that. Now, right. now, now, I've always felt, and I'm not a government official, but I've always felt I had a responsibility. I mean, if if I say something provocative over the air, and someone says, "Why did you say that?" I mean, what would lead you or possess you to say that? I said, "Well, Joe said it, and I kind of validated it." 
that I believe Ukraine is somewhat of a money laundering operation for the military industrial complex. Pretty damn provocative, isn't it? I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, if I were on a national network saying that, do you get invited back? I mean, if some producer in a newsroom across the hall say, who is that crazy fool? You can't let him on this nationally syndicated show and say those outlandish um, things. But, but, but here's, and Josh, here's where it kind of plays into a lot of the debate we have here. The vaccine has enormous side effects. We weren't allowed to say that. I mean, you, right. I could tell Josh that. But if I, if I try to put that in the public domain for public consumption, Facebook said, no, you can't say that. Twitter said, no, you can't, you can't say that. Um, and they tend to be a little more receptive of those who defend Hamas, defend terrorism. You know, uh, so some of the anti-Semitic views are a little more mainstream than some of the, uh, and that's the point I'm trying to make. Anytime there's money at play, Anytime there's financial gain to be made, it seems there's a more organized effort to censor or squelch those who may impede the progress of that financial arrangement. Um, the war in Ukraine, I mean, I use that as an example because I just don't understand that. I mean, I don't understand how anybody in their right mind ever believed that Ukraine was going to defeat Russia. I mean, that was bizarre to me. I mean, I had good friends of mine. You know, that would come to me. I mean, so, so you don't support the funding of Ukraine? I said, no. I mean, we, unless we're going broke. I mean, unless we're going to spend every dollar we have that we formerly spend on our military industrial complex. I mean, if we're going to build that same machine in Ukraine, th then yeah. I mean, you know, but, but we're not going to do that. And if we don't do that, Ukraine's going to eventually lose. And how many Ukrainians are going to die? How many Russians are going to die, for that matter, in the name of what is going to eventually end up being a peace deal? It's almost like, Josh, it's almost like a good surrender is better than a bad war. I get that, yeah. I mean, that's weird to say. It sounds cowardly. I mean, it, it really does. It sounds cowardly, and it sounds, uh, you know, uh, you're not tough as you should be, and you're not willing to fight, and you're not, uh, you know, you're not as prideful about your homeland. No, I just don't want to see 50,000 young men get killed. But eventually we end up in the same place we were going to be. And I think Israel was right. When Israel, when, when some of the Israeli diplomats tried to negotiate a peace deal between Ukraine and Russia over a year ago, and the Americans nixed it, you got to ask yourself, why do the Americans try and nix a peace deal that the Ukrainians and Russians appear to have a little bit of interest in and in following through with? If it's not a money laundering machine and not a place for the military industrial complex to generate enormous profits and young Ukrainian men lose their lives honorably and with great dignity and valor, but they're dead. Take a break back at a few but the, the, the similarities here. And the reason I'm trying to connect the vaccine with the Ukrainian situation, it's a little bit multifaceted, Josh, right. you, you lost your job because of a decision you made independent of corporate management. Right. I mean, corporate management forced a decision upon you. You made a decision that you felt was in your best interest, but, but the, the corporation was basically subservient to the government. Mm -hmm. So, so, so you got to understand the corporation. I mean, okay, they've got Josh at the bottom of the food chain with all due respect. They've got the government, you know, kind of, kind of above it. The government puts all these, 
policies in place and all these mandates in place and you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do the other. Well, I mean, if, if the government will dictate the terms and conditions of which you take experimental medicine, I mean, if you want to be the ultimate conspiracy theorist and you want to couch it in the most provocative way imaginable, that's the question you'd ask yourself. So you mean the government of the United States of America, the freest nation man has ever known, would force Josh to be subjected to experimental medicine or lose his place of employment? Yes, because the business reacts to government policy and edict and order, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so if the government will do that, wouldn't you obviously believe the government could care less about how many Ukrainians died in, 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 in the most honorable way imaginable, defending their homeland, fighting for their sovereignty? Here would be a more provocative question to ask Rev and Josh. Was Zelensky a pawn? I think absolutely. I mean, was he a prop? I mean, I understand he got elected. But but we were told that Zelensky was a you know a, 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 a d- democracy loving. Wasn't he an actor? Sure, he was. Before I mean, they, politics, they, we live in this People Magazine generation. We live in this entertainment world. Uh, Trump proves that. Obama proves that. Um, Zelensky proves that. Some of the European leadership are more charismatic and photogenic and interesting. They're hollow. They're shallow. There's nothing um, there. But, but I go back to Zelensky speaking before the joint sessions of Congress. Who arranged that? That would be very interesting to me. How many conversations, phone calls were made from the military-industrial complex to prominent members of the, uh, the, the Biden administration and the leadership of the House and Senate to convince them to let this guy plead his case and convince the American people? Americans love an underdog. I mean, we historically right. have. We love an underdog. I mean, we're emotionally connected and attracted to that. And I think it goes back to the, our beginnings. I mean, the, the British Empire versus the ragtag revolutionaries. And the ragtag revolutionaries beat the British Empire. And out of that came the greatest government man has ever known. I mean, we, we, we were born of, a, of an, um, an upset, an underdog story. Why wouldn't we be inclined to pull for the underdog and to believe in the upset? But, but at some point in time, it's not, you know, I'm pulling for the Gamecocks against Alabama. Because at the end of the day, you shake hands and you go home. In war, economies are destroyed and countries are, are, are left in rubbles and human beings don't walk the planet Earth any longer. So, so, so you, you kind of, it's almost, you don't want to believe your lying eyes. But, but in retrospect, when you look at, I mean, it's, it's so interesting to me. And, I, and I, I, I love to try and understand the human condition. I mean, I really, when I watch a televangelist, I'll give you an example. Uh, and, and, I, and I watch some guy on television say, you know, if you'll send me 50 bucks, I'll send you this vial of water. And you sprinkle it on your head and all your sins are forgiven and all your medical hardships go away. Well, I mean, that guy's been on television 10 years. I mean, they're not giving him the time. I mean, there's somebody out there willing to do that. So to me, I've always been interested in the weirdest way imaginable in the human experiment and the human experience and the human emotion and condition. What makes someone believe if they send that televangelist $20 and he sends them this water from the Dead Sea 
<laughs> it's probably from the PD River. Drop a chlorine, get the mud out. But it, yeah, you see where I'm headed? <laughs> so Zelensky goes before the joint um, sessions of Congress and, and, and pleads with the American people and the leadership of the Senate and House that if you'll only give us another 25, 30, 40, 50 billion dollars, we can defeat the Russians. Did he believe that? I mean, did, I understand um, naive Americans. I understand ill-informed Americans. I understand Americans who don't know any better. But but what about Zelensky did you believe in that was convincing that Ukraine could at some point in time establish military dominance over a country that still has more nuclear weaponry than any nation on the planet? No, we don't have any calls. Okay. Um, but I do want to ask, so... Y- you know, you've been talking for a little bit now um, about about Ukraine and, and the emotional response that uh, was kind of actualized in the media and in the American people. Did I misread the narrative? I mean, was no, the no, narrative no, no. there? That's, that's what okay. I'm saying. Okay. I completely agree with you. Do you think that the same thing is going on with Israel? Yeah. I mean, th- th- there's a game being played with that. I mean, I, I do believe, and, and, and once again, here's my personal opinion. And, and I've said this before. I don't have the right to think for all of you. I, I have admitted, and I think this is why you give me more benefit of the doubt than you would somebody else. I've admitted that my seeing Israel in a different light than Ukraine is my adherence to a biblical worldview. I mean, I, I come into the debate admitting that I have that blind spot. And I've, and I've said before, I don't think that makes you a hypocrite. No, I mean, I don't think it does at all. Um, I think we have more of a historical understanding of Israel being kind of a Western outpost. There's nothing about Ukraine that led me to believe Zelensky was a freedom fighter. Or, I mean, I I think he's a bit of a gangster, to be honest with you. I mean, I think he's heroic in in standing up against the big bad Russians. But but I think he's a pawn and a a prop and a plant and a mark in, in in a scheme that generated enormous profits for the military-industrial complex and weakened Russia. So, so you've got, behind door number one, you've got dead Ukrainians. Behind door number two, you've got corporate profit, the military-industrial complex. Behind door number three, you've got a weak Russia. I mean, I think everybody in Washington was interested in a weak Russia. I think McConnell grew up in the Cold War. Schumer grew up in the Cold War. The majority of people who make uh, that decision. We talk about Zelensky wanting to get, I mean, excuse me, we talk about Putin wanting to get the band back together and reformulate the former Soviet Union. I mean, he's a nostalgic. He's a former KGB agent. Do we not believe that sort of mindset permeates Washington? I mean, do we not believe that some of the Washington leadership still believes there's a Cold War going on? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so, 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 yeah, we're, we're good at saying, well, you know, that Putin guy, I mean, he's trying to get the band back together. And if we're not careful, he'll have the Soviet Union reestablished, and they'll invade Poland and some of these other NATO nations. And uh, I mean, do we not believe that the majority of our views are, are skewed or heavily influenced by the Cold War? I mean, is it's is almost like we believe that we're not subject to some of the distortions of what was juxtaposed to what is? I think we're just as influenced by, by that reality. So, so any chance McConnell gets to go after Russia, I mean, he's not going to look at Russia today. He's not going to look at the end of the post-Cold War, look at Russia. No, he's going to say, hey, that's the former Soviet Union. It was, it always will be uh, the former Soviet Union. And that's a dangerous, 
I mean, that, that's our political leadership. Um, now, when our leadership transitions and people like J.D. Vance and others are making big decisions on behalf of, of the Republican voter, what do we look at? I don't know what, what fundamentally changes about that. I mean, it is, you know, I just think it's naive, unbelievably naive. And the reason this comes to my attention is the article I read um, last week, Red sees it here, a mm-hmm. bitter vindication for Ukraine doves. I mean, nobody wanted to be, I don't, I'm not celebrating that I was right about this. But I think we ignored facts. And I think we were sold a bill of goods, an enormous tab uh, for this bill of goods. Where are we? Uh, over $100 billion. I mean, it's $140 billion. They're asking for about $66 billion more. I mean, thank God the Republicans have said no to that. House and Senate. Uh, well, I mean, I think the Senate probably does have the votes to get that Ukrainian funding measure uh, advanced to the White House so the president can sign it into, into law. But, but now you, you've got all these American, all these European diplomats beginning to suggest to the Ukrainians, maybe time to cut a deal. Well, I mean, the, the reason they're suggesting maybe time to cut a deal, they've run out of 25-year-olds to kill. Now, now you've got 55-year-old conscriptors, you know, those who are being led into, into fight for. Uh, I'll ask you this. If you're a Ukrainian and you love your nation and you want your nation to remain sovereign, but you're going to have to give up 153 acres of land to keep your life, that's a pretty easy decision for me to make. You know what my you know what my point is? Let the Russians have that 153 acres of land. Now, now, the the, the other side, and I'm talking about the the interventionist, will argue. Well, he won't stop there. I mean, he won't stop there. He'll you know he'll he'll end up in Poland. He'll end up in some of these other NATO nations. Well, I mean, you cross that bridge when you get there. But but I think to make those decisions based on subjectivity and what we don't know just keep killing ukrainians because hitler might do something but don't you think the the possibility that it may be time to accept a deal now is also driven by the fact that there's some resistance in congress with the republicans sure. in the house well, I mean, but but think of this there may not be the money train that- okay if if in the early days of the conflict the ukrainians were holding their own that would have been a time to sit down with putin and say, more leverage. you know, stop the killing. You get this 153 acres. But but now if you sit down with Putin, you know what he may say? Nah, the Western world's kind of giving up on you guys. We may take it all. I mean, you, yeah, you, why not? You've got yourself in a less influential position than you had yourself to begin with. And there are no way these government negotiators are that stupid. That There's just no way. I mean, that, that they were manipulated and their opinions have been significantly distorted and and the point i'm trying to make is the military industrial complex is on i mean it, it's more influential than even you or i can ever ever imagine let's go to the phone mike in darlington good morning mike you're on oh uh, i have no doubt that uh they're uh, wanting to make money on artillery shells and ammunition and that uh that that that's their business and uh they and if uh few ukrainians or a lot of ukrainians have to die to uh keep them in business uh they might decide to let them die but the ukrainians themselves they have a complex history with uh with the soviet union and uh uh the empirical russia 
they uh, be, uh, suffered terribly under Stalin, and they suffered terribly under uh, Hitler. They and it's been a battleground. But uh, the thing about Putin is he won't stop because you look at all the stands he's took over. And you look at the situation he took Georgia, and they said, oh, that was just a – we don't really need Georgia. That's just a little blip on the radar. Let him have that little chunk. And then he took uh, – I, I believe he uh, took a, another uh, – started taking big bites out of uh, the Donbass region there, which is uh, their coal-rich and gas-rich area in uh, Ukraine. And then he said, I want Sebastopol back. I'd like to have that back. Well, uh, pretty soon he he wants Ukraine back, the whole thing. And there's no doubt about that. And we're you're dealing with a, a dangerous, ambitious fellow that's uh, stubborn. And he wants a legacy that he, uh, he got the Ukraine back under the uh, uh, Russian thumb. But that uh, I don't know how you solve this problem. It's not an easy problem. And yes, there are people that want to make money off of wars. There's no doubt about it. That's been true for I, I suppose for millennia. But, Thank you, Mike. Uh, the biggest profit centers in the history of mankind for government to get involved in is disease and war. Third and close. I mean, we can debate what's a bigger you know, windfall to profit center disease or war, but there's been enormous amounts of money transacted in those, um, I, I don't want to say those two businesses, but I guess in the, the weirdest way imaginable, they are, it is the business of disease and the business of war. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Sam in Darlington. Good morning, Sam. Morning, guys. Uh, on, uh, on Ukraine, uh, I, I, I would like for somebody to show me where um, Putin is really trying to conquer Europe. I, I, you know, I don't see that in looking at the historical record of the last 20 years. But uh, as, as for Ukraine, I think the best thing we could do to help the Ukrainian people is to persuade our military-industrial complex to stop using them uh, to get at Russia. I mean, I think they're being used and, uh, it's our proxy war, Stan. Yeah, they're being used. And, uh, a lot of them are being, are willing to be used, but, but he's having to Zelensky. I've, I've read is having to get pretty tough on opposition. And, you know, you can't, uh, you can't question the war there in, in, uh, Ukraine anyway. Yeah, I, you're right. It's our war. And, uh, <clears throat> we don't need to. Talk. They don't need to talk to <clears throat> Zelensky. They need to talk to to our Pentagon and our CIA and whatever else up there in Washington. Say so you guys lay off. <laughs> That's all I got. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. And um, I mean, Josh made an interesting point during the break. Um, does Putin want to control the world? I don't know. Don't have any idea. But he doesn't have the capacity. I mean, if, if nothing else, he's a survivalist. He's a self-preservationist. He's got to be calculated about what extent he can go to to dominate that region of the world but stay in power. I mean, he's not a crazy man. I mean, I just disagree with that. 
You, you don't become a dictator and stay in charge. I mean, I get ruthless, and I, and I get murderous, and I get thug. I mean, I understand all that, and I think those do suit uh, the Russian dictator that is Vladimir Putin. But, but we, we, we kind of at times associate that with being dumb. And I, just, I don't buy that for a second. I think Putin is a survivalist. And I think he's always walking the fine line of uh, how much of this territory can I control and expand into and where are my limits? And, and I think, Josh, that's probably the greatest mistake Hitler made was failing to understand, you know, you can't march across the world. You just can't do that. You, you, um, I mean, you eventually lose and you end up in a bunker with your head blown off. I mean, that, that's the way those stories end. But, but I think, Sam, and you agree, there's no evidence that show Putin wants to control the world, is there? No, I, I agree with Sam. I disagree with Mike. You know, Mike called in and he said it's so obvious that Putin's an expansionist because he took, like, all these uh, tiny territories like Crimea and stuff. But he, but he didn't say why. He just said he, he took those things because he wants all the uh, old Russian territory back. Well, you know, and I'm no expert, but from what I understand, it has to do with their connection to the Black Sea, is that for six months out of the year, Russia's northern border, uh, their their northern uh, connection to the Arctic Sea is frozen solid. They only can trade through ships through the Black Sea, and they don't want NATO on their front door. Because NATO, as you know, I think you've said this too, it's designed to be against Russia. NATO is an anti-Russia international transnational conglomerate. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, you know, this isn't fresh in my mind, so I couldn't cite st- uh, specific statutes and whatnot, but Russia has tried to come to the table on this, and America has broken promises. They, they interfered in 2014 in the uh, whole Crimea situation. It's very clear to Russia that, you know, the people in charge now have this Cold War mindset so they did the only thing they thought they could do, which was invade Ukraine. And frankly, we validated that belief by being, you know, by having it be a proxy war. We're kind of, you know, we, America, are kind of, uh, what's the expression, like laying in the bed we make, or I forget how it goes. But you get what I'm saying, right? Sure. Well, and, and what we've done, um, we've allowed the complete destruction of a nation We've allowed, I'll give you the numbers again for those just joining us. Um, the pre-war population of Ukraine was 45 million. Today it's 29 million. I mean, there have been 16 million Ukrainians displaced. I mean, that's not their fault. I'm not suggesting that they got what they deserved. I mean, you know, very, a lot of times in life you don't get exactly what you, what you deserve. And I'm not saying Putin's a good neighbor. I'm not saying Russia's a good neighbor. But at what expense? And it goes back to bad war, good peace deal. I mean, at what point in time does a bad war get too bad for a good peace deal? Some compromise. I'm sure Ukraine's given up. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Um, and I'm not saying Putin deserves to take over 150 miles of Ukrainian territory. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with Mike that, you know, Putin didn't have the right to do that, to invade a sovereign nation. But, but go back and check your history. How many boundaries of countries in the world today are, are because... Everybody agreed that you start here and I start there. No, it's conquest. I mean, the world is historically full of conquest. Military conquest has decided what territory belongs to whom. For the lion's share, 
I mean, really and truly talk about the Ottoman Empire, and we talked about Israel a lot, and, you know, the King uh, 1000 B.C. and King David. Uh, the, 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 the Ottoman Empire read the Bible and say, we can't go there. We can't go there because if you read the Bible in 1000 B.C., King David placed, you know, Jerusalem under Jewish authority. You know, pump the brakes on those chariots there, you Ottoman imperialist. We can't go in there. No, I mean, the world's always ebbing and flowing with conquest. I mean, I'll agree that we're more diplomatic today because we're more globalist. I mean, we communicate one with another. It's a, it's a, a land far, far away, but we are more connected. We, mar- we are more, I, I don't want to say dependent upon one another, but there is a, a rationale that we all apply. Uh, that we're basically, to some degree, stewards of the world. And, and Josh can't just say, well, I mean, I don't care as much, but I don't care at all. Um, I mean, it's easy for me to say, I don't care as much about Ukraine and Russia as I do Israel and Hamas. But, but I, don't, I, mean, I can't say that I don't care at all. I mean, I'm a part of the world. America's a big part of the world. I got to be a global citizen to some degree, don't I? I mean, don't, don't I have some humanistic responsibility to care a little bit? whatever varying degree that may be. But, I mean, I can't say what happens in, in Ukraine and Russia. I could care less because I don't. I mean, I do care to some degree. But but do I care enough to try and support Ukraine in, in pulling off the greatest upset since the 84 Olympic team or, or the 80 hockey teams? I mean, you know, and, and I remember a lot of people that, that are smarter than I try to convince Americans that this was going to be a toss-up. Remember the early days. I mean, the Ukrainians are winning. I mean, the Ukraine. I mean, we heard that over and over and over again. I never bought into that. I'm going. There's no way they're winning. I mean, there's no way Ukraine's going to beat Russia in a war. They're just not. Now, now where Putin stops, I don't know. Don't have any idea. But but I know that now on both sides of the Atlantic, per NBC News, they're they're telling Zelensky, you might better take a peace deal. And if I were Zelensky, I said, well. We've lost 55,000 young men. Why didn't we do this when Israel a year ago suggested a peace deal? I mean, why were you guys so adamantly opposed to the peace deal you, Israel tried to broker after 55,000? I mean, there, there's 9.5 million people in Ukraine working. At least there are 20 million that aren't working. I mean, it's about a $500 billion bill, and there'll be more money made when American companies and enterprises go to Ukraine and help rebuild that country. At the on the taxpayer dime, on the American taxpayer dime. Back in a few. Speaking of communists, two of the great communists in the world met yesterday in California. Chinese President Xi <laughs> greeted by Governor Gavin Newsom of California. So the communists keep coming. Um, yep. Governor of California and I, I guess Chinese President, I think he's referred to as the President Xi. Let's go to the phone. David in Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, David. You're on. Good morning, y'all. How you doing? Hey, David. How are you? I'm doing good. Ken, you got a good one in there. Josh hit the nail on the head a while ago. He he never disappoints. Every time I listen and you ask for his input, is is a good part of this is all about strategy. You talked a little while ago about uh, TV evangelists. You you remember we're going to tell our age now, but you remember the Reverend Ike? I do. <laughs> I couldn't well, turn Bible, it off. I could. I, I didn't believe a word he said, but I couldn't turn the TV. <laughs> But the Bible, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So on, on that part, you can put in Vanguard, Black Rock, and State Street. And and uh, on the Reverend Ike's part, Reverend Ike used to say the lack of money is the root of all evil. <laughs> so you can put you could put Putin in that camp. So 
what is it to back to Josh's point, what what areas has Putin got that he really wants? It's all strategic ports, it's the breadbasket of Ukraine as far as wheat goes, and it's basically everything east of the Dnieper River, which is predominantly ethnic speaking Russians. You know? So I believe that's what he wants because he doesn't have any large manufacturing base, you know, that he as far as making things to sell in the world. All he's got is oil, you know. And if he can sell grain and and fertilizer, which everybody needs, including us, that's more money in his pocket. And he also didn't want NATO on his front door, as you have constantly put out ever since this war started. But who, who on the American side was constantly pushing? For him to join NATO. He needs to be a NATO member. And Putin constantly said, I, I don't want NATO on my front door. So what, what did he do? He invaded. Okay. He invaded to get a buffer. And he also invaded, as Josh pointed out, Georgia and Crimea to get the warm water ports to have easy access to get his whatever he needs in or whatever he needs out. So I'd go back to the dumbasses in the State Department that keep pushing this thing. You know, it's like you just said, well, Zelensky says, well, now what do you want me to do? Now you're telling me that I need to sit down and accept a peace deal when you're the ones that were pushing me all along. Yeah, let's fight. Let's fight. Let's fight. Now it's a war of attrition. You know, he's he's spent. He's spent in manpower, and he has no money. The only money he can get is is from us. But, but see, I, I won't interrupt you. That that was my reason for believing that we're basically fighting and losing, but it's a war of attrition, and 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 Ukraine was going to run out of men. I mean, that, that that's where I always landed. I know that sounds elementary and almost juvenile, but I remember reading a lot about it at the beginning, and I said eventually Ukraine will run out of people to fight, and that's kind of where they are now. That's exactly right. Now, you know, not not to be lighthearted in such a serious situation, but that might be one of the things that you know we can do to until we can get somebody else in the White House to control the flood across the southern borders, put the word out in Central America that, you know, when you come across the border, we put you on a bus, put you on a plane, we're gonna, you're going to end up in Ukraine fighting the Russian army. I think I think people come across the border would stop immediately. But but anyway, you know, you go back to what you've talked about before with Victoria Newland and blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline and all of this, you know, from a standpoint, you could say with Putin or with Khamenei in Tehran, if the United States would go back to the Trump era of, of exporting oil, if you can't, if you don't, you know, double A bodybuilders, if they don't have any money, they don't operate. So it's the same way with Putin. If, if Putin's selling all this oil, he's got plenty of money to wage war. You know, the same way with Iran. All of the stuff that's going on now is financed by Iran. If you'd shut off their oil and, and everybody buying it from us, which would help our economy, You'd shut a lot of this out, but nobody listens. You know, it's like you said, it's the military-industrial complex, Vanguard, State Street, and, and BlackRock. You know, they're going to make money killing everybody, and then they're going to make money repairing everything. And it's just sad. It's sad that we don't have people in this country and a media that tells people the truth and to tell people what's going on. But, again, it gives me hope because, just like I said last week, Josh hit the nail on the head a while ago. It's all, it, it, you know, he doesn't want all of, of Ukraine. He wants, you know, the part that, that's got ethnic-speaking Russians, and he wants the part where the wheat 
and he can get the fertilizer and he can get the warm water ports. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. And and I, I mean, he kind of um, I mean, he laid it out better than I could lay it out. It's very strategic. And and the one thing the caller said that and I, I remember going, I said, eventually, Ukraine will run out of people. I mean, they, they may have a good week or two. They may kill a bunch of Russians. That they, they they may you know stop the onslaught. But eventually, Ukraine was going to run out of human beings to fight this war. And unless we're willing to send young American men and women to take their place, there will be a day sooner than later that they agree to a peace deal. But but the American military-industrial complex said to Zelensky, we'll keep you armed. I mean, if you run out of people, we can't help you there. But we'll keep your people well-armed. And, and that's just an asinine prospect of which to follow through fighting. Um, one, one, of the, one of the great, I mean, I hate to say this, but Russia's still a great military power. I mean, they've got more of a nuclear arsenal than we do. Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence. Good morning, Jeff. You're on. Hey, good morning. Um, you know, that argument you're making um, has a population that's greater than Ukraine. They also had that same advantage against Afghanistan. And what happened? You know, the United States colonies had a smaller population than England. And what happened? We know Israel's got a smaller population than all the nations around it during like this uh, 67 war. And what happened? They win. How did we theoretically lose in Vietnam? You, you you think that attrition is the only way the the why Ukraine would lose? It's not. It's it, it's given up to a dictator that will make them lose, and they should never given up to a tyrannian. Wow. A, 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 a wow. Murderer. Wow. Do you do you, do you dispute anything? Oh, I totally to- never give up to a dictator. Kill every human being in your country, but we stood up to a dictator. That's an absurd. Well, that's so, an easy argument to make on a radio show in Florence, South Carolina. I, I doubt it sells well in Ukraine today. Anything else? I, I notice you're not disputing anything else. No, I, I, I absolutely dispute what you just said. Never give up to so, a dictator, no matter what the cost may or may not be. So where would we be if we did that? Well, I mean, that's, you're asking a hypothetical now. You just said no, never no, give I, up to a dictator, are. no matter what the outcome might be. So if you were a Ukrainian, you would allow every citizen in your nation to be killed because you didn't give up to a dictator. You like freedom? Yes. No, I'm answering that question. I mean, that, that's an honest question. You yeah, made yes. you okay? Well, I mean, that, that's I you, you and I are not in just I disagreement. We are on different planets when it comes to that. Yeah. Hey, I answered your question. You never give up to a dictator who's trying to kill your population and take over your country. Now you answer mine. What is yours? Okay. Are every every example I gave you of a smaller population and a country and underdog? Did they not defeat the their tyranny? Yes. Okay. So why would you sit here and make the argument that Ukraine must quit? Because I, I, I'm fact-driven. The Ukrainian pre-war population was 45 million. It's 29 million today. Nine and a half million people are working. Their economy is off by 60%. They've lost 55,000 men since February the 1st. There's not a single day since February that they've lost less than 100 people. They're running out of people to fight the war. 
they're 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 signing fifty five and sixty year old men to fight the Russian army. That's their decision, and if they want freedom, they should die for it. Okay, and, and if they want freedom, the American military industrial complex has no that. need funding a losing battle. It's absurd for America to invest in Ukraine when they're losing human beings at that rate, and they're going to eventually have to give up some territory to to, to Russia. You 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 a little while ago you praised France for supporting the colonies. I don't understand where you're what, headed, Jeff. No, I'm, I'm saying to you, there are cases in history. Sure, there are. Where a country needed allies and support and was were, were welcomed with open arms in a fight against tyranny. You want to turn, why would you support Israel in the same boat against the Arabs and the terrorists and the, and the tyrants? And turn a blind eye. Because I believe that Israel is an extension of the Western world, and I've had a, I have an adherence to a biblical worldview. Do you believe Ukraine's a democracy? Uh, do, do I believe Ukraine is a democracy? Yes. Wow. Do I believe there are Christians in Ukraine dying? Yes. Well, they're Christians in China. If you love life, if you love life, okay, as you profess, why would you be okay with Putin killing children? I'm not okay with that. And getting... You are. Well, you're getting, Jeff, you're stop with the NBC. That, that's, that's MSNBC hogwash. No, I mean, that, no, no let, 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 me, let me say this. in your face. Excuse me? This is your argument, this is your argument thrown in your face. I don't if think you you've thrown right, anything in my face. I think you personally, children. you said never give up to a dictator, no matter if everybody in your nation has to die. You're on the record saying that. I think that's insanity. Absolutely. I think that's one of the most reckless things. I mean, I'm glad that somebody like you are not in power because that would alarm me if you're willing to sacrifice every human being in your country in the name of stopping tyranny. I mean, it would be very interesting what your opinion were if you were on the battlefield leading a squadron of Ukrainians. Let me put it to you this way. You call yourself a Jefferson. Jefferson. I'm I'm stop with that. You call yourself. I'm going to stop with that. What do you call yourself? Well, you identify. You you identify. You would you would label yourself as somebody who believes in Jefferson. No, I, I wouldn't. La- I Jefferson am a Jeffersonian. I am a Jeffersonian. I don't okay. identify as. I don't label myself. That's the game you okay. play. I am a liberty loving uh, Jeffersonian. Period. I, I don't so label myself. I don't identify. That's the game you hear on MSNBC every day, and you believe that nonsense. You believe that Ukraine can defeat Russia. I believe they can, yes. Based on what? Did you believe? But, but, but let me ask you this. Based, I just gave you a lot of reasons that I don't believe History. they can. History. Okay. History okay. is on my side. Afghanistan did it. Afghanistan defeated Russia? Yes. Do you not remember the 80s? Well, I mean, they didn't before? defeat Russia. The they weren't trying States? to defeat Russia. Oh, boy. You, you need to read some history. <laughs> wow. Afghanistan yeah, defeated should. Russia? Dave, Dave, you want to chime in here? What happened in the 80s when Russia invaded Afghanistan? So do the Afghanis control Russia now? No, no. Does Ukraine want to control Russia? But they had their sovereignty, didn't they? What happened in the 80s to Russia when they tried to invade we, we got to take a break. You can hang on if you'd like. We got to take a break. I bet you do. Well, b- back in a few minutes. I bet <laughs> 
843-661-0937 is our number. I want to do this real quick, if you don't mind. Give me a point of personal privilege. Um, Butler's Fine Men's Clothing is celebrating their 30th anniversary today. 30 years in business, local business. Um, I don't want to say a mom and pop shop, but it is kind of sort of uh, one of the competitors to some of the big boxes. Um, customer service and relationships is something that Mark Butler would say he's taken great pride in. Um, I spent most of my life wearing work clothes. And then I get elected to office and I got to get, you know, kind of fancy schmancy here. <laughs> um, single vent, double vent, you know, some of those sorts of things. Anyway, they're having their 30-year um, celebration today. Uh, some bourbons, some craft beer tasting, giveaways, refreshments, some secret sales. Um, I personally support this business, and I'd ask you to do the same today at Butler's 30-year anniversary of being in business. Uh, drink, drink all the bourbon and all the craft beer. I may go by there a little bit later <laughs> this afternoon. I don't partake in the week. It's only on uh, on the weekends. Jeff has a right to believe what he believes. The only thing that offends me, Josh, and I got a little uh, huffy is when you call yourself, you label yourself, you identify as I mean, that's identity politics 101 that's what to try do. and put people in a box and a group. And, you know, you got these people that they identify as they, um, uh, my, my pronoun is he, uh, my, my political persuasions are libertarian, Jeffersonian, conservative Republican. I don't identify as Jack. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't ascribe to that nonsense. You identify, you propose that you are that. No, I am what I am. Um, and, and, and Thomas Jefferson and what I've read about Jefferson kind of influences my political, it would be a neoclassical liberal is what I would be by the older definitions, but liberalism is kind of taken on. Uh, they run from the word liberal and that's progressive. We want to progress the nation, uh, into a better place. So, so I'm not bothered at all by Jeff's comments. It's just the fact that he tried to, you know, you label yourself as you identify as, and that's being a bit judgmental and a bit arrogant, to be honest with you, uh, but playing the game that MSNBC plays and the liberal media plays, you know, he identifies as, you know, he represents himself as, no, I am uh, what I am. It, it's kind of interesting. There has been an inversion. Um, you know, Jeff is more hawkish than I am. He's more believing in the great upset than I am. I guess as a business person, I've always looked to the facts. Let the facts tell, take you where where they take you. And Ukraine's having a hell of a time holding on right now. I mean, they just are. They're, they're having a real tough go of it. And you know they're having a tough go because the media's not talking about it. I mean, you really got to go read some military publications and some of the former military personnel who will put their opinions out there. I mean, they're struggling in, in quite a mighty way. Do, do I believe in the great upset? Yeah. I mean, of course I do. Um, do, do I believe that South Carolina really beat Alabama? And when they were number one in America, when Stephen Garcia, yeah, I mean, I sat there and watched that. Uh, do, do I believe the British Empire, you know, was the most formidable force in the on the planet at a time that America was kind of, of course I do. Absolutely I do. I'm not privy to the information that led to uh, the success or defeat. Uh, I talked about the French supporting the Americans. But the French weren't in love with America. They, they, they wanted to try and weaken the British Empire. Uh, the, the Americans, watch Charlie Wilson's war. Jeff talked a lot about Afghanistan and the Soviet Union. I mean, it was a stalemate. I mean, the Soviet, the big bad Soviet Union, could dispense of the Afghans uh, because I mean, go go watch the movie Charlie Wilson's War. 
Uh, the, the Americans didn't fall in love with Afghans all of a sudden or the Mujahideen. I mean, they, they wanted to weaken Russia, and they did. I mean, there, there's no question about it. So, yeah, history's littered with, with events and episodes of the underdog getting the best of big bad, uh, the big bad bully. And then Putin is a big bad bully. I, I'm, I'm not trying to argue he's not. But, but from what I'm reading, not in the mainstream media, because they told you when Zelensky came to Washington, he, he, you know, we can win this thing. And, and I just remember thinking about, no, you can't. No, you can't. You're not going to win this war unless the Western world decides to put boots on the ground. I mean, if the Western world decides to put American soldiers and American troops saying Israeli soldiers, well, they're occupied now. But, I mean, you see where I'm headed. I mean, if NATO nations commit forces to go into Ukraine and defend that sovereign country, yeah. But Ukraine left to its own is not going to defeat Russia. And how many Ukrainians are going to die in the interim? And Jeff is on the record. I disagree with Jeff. He said he would let, let every Ukrainian die in the name of stopping tyranny. I wouldn't. I mean, I would make a calculus. I would sit down with the Russians and say, you can have these 143 square miles if you'll stop killing my people. Is that surrender? Yes. Yes. What are my options? To kill every living, breathing human being in my nation? That's what we fail to understand. We take war as this geopolitical endeavor, and we talk about the good guys and the bad guys. Human beings are being slaughtered in Gaza. In, in Israel, in Ukraine, I mean, do you believe that the Russians deserve to die? Do you believe every Russian that goes into Ukraine to fight for the Russian military buys into communism and supports everything about Vladimir Putin? It's real easy to sit behind a microphone and say, well, he should have done that, and they should have done this, and we should have done should have done." Or to many, watch it on TV. I mean, how many of us have been on a battlefield? When you sit on the comfortable couch and sure, watch it on and, TV and, I, and I, give your I, opinion. I, mean, I think it's irresponsible for someone to say that I'd let every member of my nation, you're a government leader. Your job is to protect your people and their safety and security. And if you believe giving up 143 acres of your sovereign nation is in the country's best interest to stop from completely slaughtering every young man in Ukraine, that's a reasonable decision to make. And I think Ukraine is very close to being forced to make that decision. Why did U.S. diplomacy intervene when Israel offered up a peace deal. I'm going to ask yourself that. I mean, do you believe that the Americans believe that, uh, I mean, what were we, I'll, I'll go back and give you an example. This will be bipartisan. Remember all the Republicans that said, once we liberate the Middle East, the world will change forever. I mean, they'll welcome democracy with open arms. I mean, that's the Bush regime, the Bush doctrine. And, and by the way, honesty. I believed it when they said it. Well, let me sure you Back did. You wanted day. to believe yeah. it because that was a Republican. Right. And he saw the world in a very similar fashion. You gave him more benefit right. of the doubt. Who wouldn't seven, want freedom? Well, I mean, democracy. $7 trillion later, how many young men and women are limping around the country? I mean, you see these uh, wounded warrior ads, uh, you know, trying to retrofit a home or build a home or help one of these injured veterans. I mean, it, it's not a geopolitical matter that you study at a war college. These are living, breathing human beings whose lives are exterminated at the age of 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. And I want to stop that from happening. That's my motivation. And if I'm the, the, the guy that gets to make the call in Ukraine, and I've only got 9.5 million people working, I had 45 million, I got 29 now, 16 million have been displaced. There's not a single day since February that I hadn't been told that 100 more of my men are dead. I've lost nearly 60,000 
since February 1, and somebody says, hey, we can stop this if you're willing to give up that 145 acres, you damn right. I'm signing. Let's go to the phone. I was going to say one more thing about Jeff's argument, his way of arguing. He likes to call in and try to catch you in a gotcha, you know, try to make you look like a hypocrite or try to, you know, identify you. You call yourself a Jeffersonian, but here's why your argument is contradictory to that. And that's a typical arguing style instead of him just calling in and he's welcome. This is a, a first amendment zone here. He's welcome to call and give his opinion. This is one of the few places you can do that, especially if it's in contradiction to what the host says, but there's a way to do it. He could call in and not be as huffy by the way, cause he was huffy too. Um, and say, <laughs> Hey, I heard you say this. I disagree with you. And here's what I believe and why. But he doesn't believe in anything. I mean, he, every every point, and I got to call him out, every point Jeff makes is about the former president. How many times has Jeff called in defending the Biden economy? Well, there's no defending but there, it. There's no defending that. I mean, I saw something yesterday, the, 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 the cost of living today. I mean, inflation is not doing true justice to what it costs to live now compared to 2020. But, but it's about Trump and some interview that jenna ellis gave you know to some i don't know operative in the in the doj that they think they might have caught trump at a lie you know he says he always thought he won the election jenna ellis says well i don't know if he did or not you know uh and that's not even her saying she heard him say that she heard somebody else say that but but it's just i mean you're right it's what about isms and gotchas and i think you owe it to yourself and your opinion to validate it what do you believe I mean, this is an opinion radio what is your opinion it's not about, well, remember when you said X or remember when you said Y. I talk for 20 hours a week. Some things I get right, some things I don't. Everything I tell you at the moment I say it, I believe it to be true. Am I batting a 1,000? Hell no. Am I batting better than most? I think I am. Do I bring a certain informed disposition to the table? I believe I do. But I'm certainly not the, the, the you know the, the the monopolizer of of independent thinking and getting it right, but but it is a bit bothering when someone can't remember when you said that Tuesday. Well, he's just trying to make you look hypocritical. Well, I mean, and that's his argument. Well, I mean, but but you said this, and I am hypocritical at times. I mean, I've told you I, I'm conflicted. I you know maybe that's why Jefferson is such a hero of mine. He was always in contradiction with himself and and trying to figure out hey do i go this way or do i go that way because i think i got a foot in one camp and a foot in the other camp of course i mean i think i've told josh be suspicious of your own opinion and be man enough to change your mind so so yeah i mean do i say things on monday that that i probably clean up a little bit by third of course i do i'd like to believe the reason we've garnered an audience and a listenership is I'm authentic enough to say, hey, remember what I said Tuesday? Forget that. <laughs> Forget that. Because <laughs> some things have happened, and I've learned some things that led me to believe that what I believe Tuesday isn't quite what I need to believe um, today. But but I think calling in to take exception with a host is a, is a pretty uh, MSNBC-ish thing um, to do. Let's go to the vault. But I'm not bothered by it. Please rest assured. I guess this would be a great time to, to give you my disclosure. You ready? And then we'll take a break, Josh. Uh, what other people think of me is none of my damn business. And that, that remains the fact. I mean, it really and truly does not concern me or alarm me at all. And on and on the way out of the uh, the last segment where we were talking 
um, to Jeff, and he had also made the comment because we did have to take a break, and he's like, oh, sure you do, like we were cutting him off at that point. That was not the case. We actually had to adjust the format of the end of the show last hour uh, and do away with the entire last segment well, because we went so long to give him a chance to sound that's true. Foolish. Well, he's got a point yeah. of view that's different than mine. And it's welcome here. Sure. Good. Sure, it's welcomed and always be and always will be welcome. Let's go to the phone. Keith in Darlington. Good morning, Keith. You're on. Good morning. I'm listening to everything y'all are speaking about the Middle East and Israel and Ukraine and everything. I am a veteran. And I, my question is to Jeff. He says fight no matter what, no matter what a cost of life. I have served under the bush regime i have brothers and sisters that have lost their life for something that was supposed to be taken care of that is still going on i'm asking jeff to if he can call back in without being all pissy how about ask yourself if i show up at your house with a bunch of my bad boy biker brothers and some of my veteran brothers and you and your family there and i'm coming in to steal your stove you're gonna lose all your life to save that stove or you're gonna say no Here's your stove. And until he ever walks and chews the dirt that I've chewed, he can't sit there and say, oh, well, it can be one. It can be, yeah, possibly so. But at what cost? I just don't understand his thinking on a lot of his call, but that is his right. Sure. And, but, and, and, and we'll, we'll that always that right. honor that right. We're mm-hmm. never going to stop allowing people to call in. And, and I'm not, I'm not, thank you, appreciate the call. I'm not bothered by challenging the host. It kind of motivates me. Rev feels like he's got to defend me. It's kind of, um, I feel a little bit encouraged. Rev got to like, oh, you mess with my guy. Come on now. We're on the same, well. we're on the same thing. I'm fine with being challenged. I hope you know that by now. But but the the the, the snarkiness uh, about, well, I mean, you call yourself this or you identify as that, that does bother me a bit because I don't call myself anything. And I don't identify as anything. I am what I am, and I have a lot of differing views on the world. Uh, I'm a socialist libertarian or a libertarian socialist. I mean, that means I am one thing one day and something else the next, and and I accept that um, contradictory position that I very often find myself in. I want to come back and ask Josh a question uh, on the other side because you're talking about tyranny based in communism. Um, Does communism deserve to exist? I mean, I, I don't want to live in a communist nation, but but are we at a place in America's existence that we're going to disallow communism from existing? Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. I want to go back to the question I asked Josh before we took our break. We got a couple of callers. We'll get there. Bear with me two seconds. Should communism have a right to exist? Josh. Uh, I don't think anything has the right to exist uh, other than what God allows. So mm. as as like an economic system— But I mean, system, if, if it exists, God allowed it. Well, yeah, of course. And But that's—if if it were wiped off the face of the planet, God allowed that too. It, does, it, not, it must not exist in the sense that it's not required. You know what I mean? No. You don't know what I, I don't. mean? Uh, like if— if the dodo bird, the dodo bird is extinct, God allowed the dodo bird to exist and then it not to exist. Okay. So God does not want the dodo bird to exist necessarily. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I get that, but the dodo bird is a hard, I mean, it's a tangible object. Communism is not behind this door, that door. 
it's, it's a, a creation mindset. of humans. It, yeah, it's it's, it, right. it, it's it's a uh, yeah, it's it's an evolution of. Uh, I mean, communism is not tyranny, right? Right. I mean, I I think you would agree that. I mean, t- tyrannical governments are one thing. They're normally born out of communism, but because communism basically says, now communists would argue it doesn't. Communism would argue they they equally treat individual rights and society's best interest. I would argue that individual rights are subservient to society's best interest. We all got to finish the race at the same time. I mean, I go to the gym every day, Rev Dutton, but, but Rev and I don't deserve to be different. And, you know, if we had to get out and run or lift weights or do whatever, you know, my going to the gym would give me an advantage. But communism says, ah, oh, that advantage isn't healthy. We, we, need, we need Ken slowing down a bit so Rev can, you know, I mean, I'm using that, I mean, Go, go into the back building and fixing computers. I'll, I'll make Rev the, 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 the superior in this debate. Um, Rev can fix those computers 10 times quicker than I can, but communism says, that's ah, not good. I mean, everybody should be able to fix that computer at about the same time. Rev's best interest is not served, but society standing is more equal. I mean, that, that's the notion of communism. Tyrannical governments mean that I'm in charge, and, and I decide. Now, communist governments normally lead once again because human beings are human are human beings, um, and and I don't like giving into tyranny. I mean, I'd like to believe that if somebody, I, I think the the previous caller made an interesting point. If somebody pointed a gun at me, and I just my gut said they'll kill me. I mean, this this person didn't play, and I mean, they, they'd kill me. I don't care if I got a hundred dollars or a million dollars in my wallet. I'm giving them that wallet. I mean, at no point in time when that person's pointing a gun at my head do I say, I don't want to give him this wallet. It's got a million dollars in it. It doesn't matter to me. I've given into tyranny, right? But to me, I made a conscious decision in my best interest. I mean, I'm hoping when they point that gun at my head, I've only got $100. I hope they didn't catch me on payday when I got a million in my wallet. But it doesn't matter to me. I mean, that's, being, that's giving into tyranny. I'm not going to allow my head to get blown off because of the amount of money I've got in my wallet. To me, the argument Jeff made is kind of sort of like that. I'm not going to give in to tyranny under any condition. Yeah, but all of your people are going to be killed. Every human being in your country is going to be killed. I don't care. I mean, I'm not giving in to tyranny. To me, that's 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 a different way to look at uh, the world. Now, now, once again, there may be Ukrainians that say, I refuse to give in. But I think as a leader of a nation, when your people are getting slaughtered at the rate Ukrainians are, you have an obligation to explore a peace deal that may be to some degree giving in um, to tyranny. Let's go to the phone. Jay and Nichols. Good morning, Jay. You're on the air. Hey. Um, yeah, good morning, guys. I've been listening in most of the morning. Um, your last caller that you dis- disagreed with, I don't think he expressed himself well at all. Um, you know, when this first started, everybody thought that this would be over in two, three weeks, a month. Uh, and if you look at it, Ukraine has recaptured 50% of the territory that Russia has occupied. Uh, a a nation without a Navy has sunk 22 ships, including one and one submarine. They've got rid of 5,000 of the Russian tanks a little bit over 11,000 of the Russian armored personnel carriers, uh, 6,000 Russian artillery systems. They're doing pretty good. Uh, you get a little stalemate, but that's because they got to build up defenses. But 
who are we to say that they have to give up their freedom? There's Ukrainian citizens in the occupied territories, and those citizens have to give up their freedom and become Russian citizens. They don't want to do that, but the Russians won't let them leave because they're going to control them. You know, you're making a decision for another country, and you're not looking at it from their side of the fence. Well, what decision am I making for another country? You're making a decision. You're saying that these guys need to give up and negotiate a No, 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 no. I'm saying that some of their biggest supporters are saying it's time to cut a deal. The people yeah, that convinced them this was a worthy cause, you can win, are now saying you can't win and it's time to cut a deal and, and negotiate peace and maybe give up 143 acres of your territory to stop the continued slaughtering of your people. Well, did you uh, see that just uh, last week, Germany decided to uh, double their amount of money that they gave Russia last or Ukraine last year, this year. I did see they're that. They're going to double. They're going to double the amount of money that they're giving them. It came out last week. You know, um, you're complaining about the money we're giving them. The uh, weaponry we're giving them, we're giving them old stuff that came out of Vietnam. We're giving them armored personnel carriers from Vietnam that have been sitting out of field for years. Uh, we're giving them Bradleys, which are getting replaced in two years. We're giving them old Abrams tanks that the Marine Corps got rid of. We're giving them the weapons that we no longer use. But it's it's a dollar figure. But it's weapons that are going to go sit out in the desert of Arizona and get, grow dust. You know, that's what we're giving them. Okay, the HIMARS is due to be replaced in five years. Okay, so these are going to be weapons that are going to get stuck in storage and never get used again. The ammunition that we give them, if we didn't give them our old ammunition, next year we were going to have to blow up thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds of it because its life expectancies expired. You know, but you're looking at it as a dollar figure and not at the practicality that these are weapons that we know. So the, do, the you can do this in a practical matter without looking at the dollar figure. Uh, there, you always have to look at a dollar figure, sir. But the dollar figure you're looking at is the number that somebody arbitrarily placed on this piece of equipment that was going to sit in a desert and rot away. You know, so would it be better to have it be used? For somebody to get their freedom back or sit out in the desert in Arizona and grow dust. The the tanks sitting out in the middle of the desert, even if we're not using them, are still worth something. You, We could still uh, sell them and not just give them away. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd read this, and I don't want to contradict the caller, but, I mean, we're sending F-16 fighter planes from Denmark that are owned by the U.S. military to Ukraine. I mean, that would be some of the latest, greatest fighting equipment we have. We, we sent the F-16s to, to, to Denmark to make it look like we really didn't send them to Ukraine. Denmark, in turn, sent them to Ukraine. So to suggest we're sending a bunch of old, dilapidated fighting equipment is just not true. We're sending F-16s, the very, the very jets we fight, 
in, in our current yeah. warfare. The F-16s that Denmark gave them, they bought F-35s to replace. They've been flying those jets for 22 years. But but aren't you kind of contradict? So you believe that the Ukrainians can defeat the Russians with 40-year-old jets? It's a heck of a lot better than the uh, 29s they got in the uh, SU-35s. But, but it, are, aren't you validating my not, claim that the Ukrainians can't win? No, I'm not. Sure you are. They're doing, they're doing rather well. They're, uh, they, a country without a Navy sank 22 ships. One of them being the capital ship of the Black Sea Fleet. Something that our carrier battle groups were afraid of. What do you make of the 60,000 men that have died since February 1? Is it our decision to decide how many of their people Well, I mean, we, we've made it our decision. We're providing the military armaments. You've just encouraged the continuing to send. I mean, don't less die if the war ends? Maybe, maybe not. I dis- but that's not a ma- if if the war ends, less people die. Have you seen how many people Russia has killed when they occupied the areas? Have you? The, the fo- yeah, I've seen the four hundred graves. I've seen the uh, missile that they just shot at a, a funeral. They killed half of a village. They killed one hundred and fifty people at a funeral for one of their sa- their soldiers. But I mean, you're, you're talking I about anecdotal. I mean, I, I don't trust the Russians. I'm, I'm not arguing. I mean, you're, you're twisting the argument. I never said that I agree with what Russia did. It doesn't matter where I agree or not. Russia invaded Ukraine. We were told Ukraine could defeat Russia. You were told that. I was told that. Some of you still believe that. I don't. Well, I, I'm sorry you don't, but I don't think you should be telling I, them. I, I'm sorry you do. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that we should be telling the Ukrainians what to do. If they want their freedom and they're willing to fight for it, we should support that. Who installed Zelensky as the leader of Russia? I mean, of Ukraine. The Ukrainians? No, nah, the, the Americans did that. Of, of, I mean, of course. I, I mean, he, he was an American you're, you're proxy. Gonna, you're going you're gonna to go say that that was something that happened, just like uh, the Russians influenced Trump's election. Huh? You, you know, know. Come on. It, you know, you, you have proof of that? About as much as they do the Russians got Trump elected. <laughs> well, okay, so, well, there you go. You took somebody's side in an argument without any proof to the pudding. But, I mean, you're taking another side of the argument without any proof. My, my proof uh, is as good as yours, as valid as yours. Uh, I never said that uh, he wasn't fairly elected. You're saying that he was. No, I'm talking about in Ukraine, Zelensky. Yeah, Zelensky wasn't fairly elected. I don't know that he was or not. Yeah, what? Well, well, but you just said that he's a, a, a American puppet. I believe that. I mean, I believe he's a. I believe he's an American proxy. And that we put him in power. I think we had a lot to do with getting Zelensky elected. Yes. Well, I, I wouldn't say that we didn't have anything to do with it, but he's actually turned out to be a pretty good president for their people. He's. Cut down on the corruption in his government. He's firing people left and right when he sees them having their fingers in the till. He just got rid of 137 commissars that were taking graft to keep people from going into the military. You know, he's doing the right things. 
unless you want to practice your religion. What what religion does he? Stop? I think there's like 13 religions that he's made illegal to practice. In, he tried uh, in to get rid of Greek Orthodox. I mean, he did. I mean, he outlawed, basically outlawed at executive level uh, the, the religion of Greek Orthodoxy. But but I no, think there's he, been some debate shut, in Parliament about whether he can do that or not. He shut down three Greek Orthodox churches that were supplying information to Russia about their armed forces. You know that? That's what's reported. Nah, okay. By BBC and uh, a few other renowned sources. So you believe I that Ukraine it, is winning I the war against Russia? Well, we got to take a break, but you believe that Ukraine is winning the war against Russia? I believe they're doing pretty good, yes, sir. Okay, fair enough. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. I mean, this hour has been kind of a celebration of what we profess to be. The last bastion of independent thinking, mm-hmm. critical thought, yeah. and the allowance of people to express their opinions, however disagreeable they may be. Take a break. Back in a few. It's time now for the Wake Up Carolina Winer Line, brought to you by Delta Building Systems. Call 803-720-5260. So, what are you whining about today? Hey, I don't know why y'all call it the Winer Line, but that's what most of y'all conservatives call the truth. So, it is what it is. But I just called to see or to tell y'all, do you see how many people are flipping on Trump? But the big one is when Giuliani flips because he's broke. He's broke. He's bald. He's old. Trump is going to go to prison. So y'all have a great day, y'all conservatives in Carolina. And the tide is turning. It's turning for sure. <laughs> and and to, you know, to, to, to make it even more alarming, we've measured the resolute desk. I mean, I've got it inside of the White House. Biden was taking a nap. He takes 13 naps a day. I can tell you that for, for, for sure. He takes 13 naps a day. He was taking one of his naps. We had somebody disguise themselves as a maintenance worker, and they went in and measured the resolute desk. I got a bunch of friends in prison, and, and I asked one to measure if they could. The door when it's fully opened, and the resolute desk fits in a prison cell. Um, so we're good there. I mean, no, no problem uh, there. Flipping on Trump. The reason you don't believe somebody is they're broke and afraid. And it seems that all the targets in Trump world that are flipping are broke and afraid. Are they more believable when they're broke and afraid and being, you know, come after by the government? Or are they less believable? The odds makers, I'm not talking about the pollsters. And you had a Republican poll and a Democrat poll and a bias poll. The wise guys in London, you can't vote on the presidency or you can't bet on the presidency in America, but you can and some of the London betting houses, right now, Trump is a larger favorite than he's ever been. I mean, he is favored to win the presidency by a bigger margin than he ever has been, and he's been elected once. How's Joe Biden going to give Israel and that Ukraine over yonder $100 billion, that would be enough to save Social Security and Medicare for hundreds of years. I wish you would explain that situation to me. Well, that, that was Obama and the pallets of cash that made their way um, to Iran. You've kind of got this, I mean, I'll sound like George Bush, this evil, uh, this axis That's of evil real. between Iran, China, and Russia. We've spent a good bit of time today talking about Russia 
invading Ukraine, what I perceive to be real. Um, and there's some media reports out there suggesting that there's some dissent in the Zelensky camp. Some of his uh, close uh, associates are advising him, you know, hey, this isn't going the way we thought it would go. This offensive, uh, we're getting just killed on the battlefield more and more. Ukrainians are dying as a result. And I'm not endorsing tyranny. I'm not endorsing communism. I'm not validating uh, what, what Vladimir Putin did. But like I said, when someone points a gun at my head, I would rather not be there. But I am. And I got to deal under those circumstances. And it doesn't matter if I got $100 or a million dollars in my pocket. Instead of getting shot in the head, I'll go back to being broke. That's kind of the way. It's not as simple as that. But but that's the analogy that I use. Uh, and that contradicts what Jeff said because Jeff said, that he would allow every citizen of his nation to be killed in the name of standing up to tyranny. I, I just think that's irresponsible. You've been listening to the Wake Up Carolina Winer Line, brought to you by Delta Building Systems. You got something you want to whine about? Call anytime, 803-720-5260. It's the official and the original Wake Up Carolina Winer Line. We're talking about butlers a second ago. I want to thank Delta Building Systems, another local business that decided, I mean, in, in business, it's hard to associate with ah, controversy. <laughs> and they've decided to be a part of this, and we certainly appreciate what all of those entities and enterprises do in supporting this bastion of independent and critical thinking. What's controversial and, about what we do? And celebration <laughs> of the First Amendment. Exactly. Let's go to the phone. Robert in Florence. Hello, Robert. You're on. Good morning. Love your show. Hey, I just wanted to say I think there's a reason why you never hear of a successful progressive liberal radio talk show because they cannot say what they truly believe. Conservatives, you stand on your two feet and have principles and support them and acknowledge them, they can't openly say what they believe. So you can't sit there and listen to it for very long. But uh, Jeff's obviously very astute, intelligent, uh, but he he can't say what he truly believes. Thank you. Appreciate that. And I try to get it out of him at times. Um, and I do believe that. I think Jeff's astute and smart. I mean, I really believe that. I think he adds – a certain flair to the show. I really enjoy when Rev says, and I don't ever ask Rev, who is it? But when he says Jeff's on the phone, I'm like, okay, I sit up in my chair a little bit because I know he's going to have some disagreeable points, and I respect that, guys. I really do. The only thing that got me a little bit perturbed this morning, other than waking up at 3.30 and not 4.30 because they changed this stupid time. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> and I can't get back in a groove is, you know, uh, it, it's a little bit of an insult when he says you profess to be. Or you identify as that's their game. That's the liberal game. Yep. You, they, they put you in a box. Uh, remember what you said 20 years ago? Well, what about today? I mean, you profess to be this and you claim uh, to be that. I am what I am. And I'll accept that very often my views are complicated and sometimes they're contradictory. Uh, we had a guy call the show a long time ago in the early, early days and said, you know, you've got to back a spit coming out both sides of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I do at times. I mean, there's I no doubt about that. Yeah, there's no doubt yep. about that. I mean, I do at times, but but um. And you add in a little Trump derangement syndrome into Jeff's beliefs and ideas, and you know it it does sound a little uh what's what a, what a, we call it huffy yeah uh, call snarky, it call it something else snarky would be the word I'd use. Just yeah. sounded snarky today, and and maybe you know uh, maybe he saw some polls. Uh, <laughs> maybe the polls have got him a little bit alarmed and concerned, and um and maybe. 
the fact that the resolute desk does sit in a fit in a prison cell. Maybe he trusts <laughs> us on on that validation, and he's bothered by the resolute desk being forty four inches wide, a prison cell being forty eight. If the guards get their fingers just out of the way, you can sit there. I mean, imagine a guard. Imagine a prison guard saying, hey, we're putting a, we're putting a presidential desk Might have this to take the, the door off the hinges yeah. to fit it in, you know. Yeah. Are there hinges or slides? I think they're slides, Rev. Oh, there you go. You know, some of the old prisons, you know, in the um, – I think the only one with a, with a swinging door is on Andy Griffith. I think Barney leaves that key in, you know. <laughs> anyway, right. in, enjoy your day. We'll, uh, we'll get back at it tomorrow.